Hello and welcome to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. We're sitting ahead of possibly some of the craziest weeks of the year when it comes to gaming news, but none of it has quite landed yet. Like a lot of it is literally starting like next week or even like later this weekend. We had a few table scraps like literally late last night that I might have to ask Adam and Josh about. Speaking of Adam and Josh, my name is Brian. I'm going to go through the people who are here joining me this week. It's the same usual crew if you've listened to us before, but I want to introduce them. Here we go. With me, I have George Foster. Hey, everyone. Josh Torres. You guys registered for E3. What does that mean this year? I have no idea. I got my email and I'm like, yay. Uh, what, is, what do I do? Congratulations. With this? You can attend a fully online event. I'm sure now you can find out where I live. Uh, Adam Vitale. <laughs> yeah, I think it's weird because it's like E3 is going to be all online this year. But for like most people like who watch it, it has always been all online. So I, like, I got my media pass. I don't know what that gets me. You got early access to the E3 portal, whatever that means. Yeah, literally, I have no idea. Not, not like someone who has <laughs> access isn't just going to like turn around and share it on a public avenue yeah right isn't that let me just... finish the list uh we got uh james galizio isn't that just the esa leak from a few years back somebody <laughs> taking a list and sharing it <laughs> you're not wrong and finally uh chow min Wu. oh guys we started late so that we could have chow here at the start of the podcast you're welcome oh, chow it's all on me i'm sorry guys yeah <laughs> it's because it's only because we love you like i kind of gave at the intro uh, this week's kind of a bit of a weird week because a lot of what this weekend feels like is anticipation for like our schedules going into next week. I know some of us on staff have taken a few days off. Some of us have like tables ready to, to know when all the streaming events are. I think Adam was up late last night watching uh, some indie stream that kind of went out ahead of everything else. We got the Summer Games Fest, the big two-hour press conference type show on June 10th. Uh, which is in the middle of next week at the time of recording. So we've, we've got a lot of dates flying around. We've got a lot of emails being sent out. And it's kind of, it's already a mess in some ways. And it hasn't really started yet. At least it's not like as bad as previous years. Because right now in, in, a, in a normal year, our, our email would be like, all right, uh, you want to book an appointment? All right, here's, here's the slots for the appointments. You good? We only have a limited amount of uh, slots. Please respond right now, please. Yeah, and then, you know, it's, locations changing and making sure like okay this fits in my calendar but can i get from one building to the other side of downtown la in an hour or, or whatever oh yeah and the, the fun ones are like like yeah go meet me at like the 70th floor of this hotel it's like okay yeah it's it's crazy in a different way but i guess it's exciting also inherently alongside that so e3 in person's fun Hopefully it is, yeah, hopefully it ends up being moderately fun in this weird new paradigm. But until then, what we've done is we've gathered all the stuff from the week preceding the week of chaos, and we're going to try to formalize it as much as we can and go through it, kind of have a clean slate going into next week. Before we do that, though, we're going to do what we always do and talk about what we've been playing. But even with that, a lot of us have been working on uh, kind of non-gaming related things or things that are embargoed or, or working on site-side stuff. So even this section might be a little bit thin and different. Uh, 
I don't know where to start with here. Um, we already agreed to who who to start with. Oh, okay. So I, I think that means uh, you're up, Chow. Really, me? I, I, yes. I guess it was Chow. I thought it was Adam, but it's Chow. Oh wait, was it, was it Adam? Did I get it wrong? Well, too late. I said Chow. Okay, well, uh, I've been I've been playing uh, Rune Factory Five, so I, it finally came in the mail, and I can finally play it and talk about it. I guess the Japanese release of that Rune Factory Five. Yeah. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's an English announcement yet. I don't. I don't know if they it... ever announced it for localization or not. Did they? No, it's, it's, it's still it's... listed. Go ahead, Adam. It's announced for localization. We just don't know when it's coming. Okay. Oh, I thought you. I thought you were going to say it had a date announced. I'm going to say like on our website, which we try to keep really up to date when it comes to release dates. If you don't know, uh, it still says to be announced so, 2021 for. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> no, but seriously though, Adam does keep a really good. Uh, tries to keep those up to date. But it's out in Japan, and Chow has imported it. Uh, how much time have you had to put into it? I think about four hours or so. Um, usually, yeah. if you play like the Rune Factory games, it's a huge time sink, right? So yeah. you probably will take a lot of hours before you get into the real meat of the content. I feel I'm still in a tutorial, so I can't really say too much about it. But it's just like... It has the same structure as Rune Factory 4. You basically, you start out in every single game, you run a farm, you have amnesia for some reason, and that's basically the structure, right? I like how there's multiple series you can make jokes about, like, you have amnesia for some reason, that's just how it is. That's uh, so how it is. Every game you get amnesia. The only game that, that had a reasonable one excuse was the fourth game. Your character got hit in the head, and he had literally brain damage. That's why he can't remember anything. So what? What is the reason in this game? Uh, I have no idea. You were just on the ground, and you're like, you <laughs> yeah, have a I don't remember. And he's like, oh, I hear a girl screaming. I gotta save her. And that's how the game starts in five, right? I'm not, so unless, unless, you, unless you make a like a female character. If you make a female character, is it like do, do you do you hear a boy screaming in the distance? No, no, no. You're uh, you're the rescuer. Um, like the first line, it will say um, in both uh, four and five. Um, there's a line at the beginning. It will say Boku. Boku or Watashi. If you pick Watashi, you get the female protagonist. If you pick okay. Goku, you get the male protagonist. So it gets a little weird during localization. They have to like write a completely weird line. Like this is how a boy will say, "I'll rescue you," or I don't know, "I'll come and save you," or something. I don't know. What are the? So I guess I, I imagine for, uh, for when Root Factory Five comes over to the West. Either it's either going to be like newcomers like me that might give it a shot, or people who like have been with the series since like I, I imagine it's going to be like Rune Factory Four special players. Are there is there like anything that sticks out to you immediately in these first four hours of the game that's like drastically different from Rune Factory Four special, whether it's like an upgrade or downgrade enhancement quality of life thing? I feel it's like a downgrade so far. I don't know. I, I prefer four so far. I know people don't really like hearing that, but uh, there's some things that might be better. Like there's some quality of life changes. Like, uh, like let's just say you want to gather materials for wood and wood and stone, right? Um, basically, in those games, if you gather those materials, you could build like a house or like a kind of like furniture of some sort, right? And in this one, it's uh, if you gathered like wood and stone, you could instantly put all that material into like the little basket that carries that stuff so the game will know how much material you get. In the old games, you will have to keep like breaking them, bringing them back and forth in order to get 
to fill up this thing. It, it gets a little tedious, right? Oh, the, like, is there like a certain amount of like storage slots you have in your basket in this one? Um, the basket, like, to hold these things is unlimited, but your own inventory is limited. You get, I think, like 30 unique spaces, then you can upgrade it to like 45, and you can upgrade even further. But yeah, but the, like, say you get like five five wood. Does it stack uh, on top of each other in the same slot, or is it? Yes, it, it, it stacks on the same slot. Okay. Uh, it, but the thing is, it goes up to a certain limit. I think like up to nine. Then then it has to take up the next slot to in your inventory. Okay. Okay. So this is the first Rune Factory game built ground up for Switch. Uh, how how is that feeling for you? Um, not great. <laughs> I can lie. I, oh. I feel like I feel like it's like a downgrade from Frontier, and Frontier came out during the Wii days. Like the background looks a little muddy in this one. Like they're not really bright. Even like like maybe I was just singing a bad day, but like even on the sunny days on the game, it doesn't feel that like, colorful. You know. Now, did you play a uh, Rune Factory Four Special on Switch? Uh I play a little bit, but like I... uh, well, how, so that's a port of a 3DS game, right? I'm just wondering like how it compares. Does it feel like a step up or? Um, the thing is, because it's part of a 3DS game, it wasn't really done really well. But if you're like comparing it to portable, you know, you don't see all the flaws in the graphics, right? Because a lot of the problem is like everything is just upscaled from the 3DS version, right? They're just willing to like give it more leeway because like, oh, okay, they're just adapting it from because this was like built up for with the 3DS in mind when they're designing this game. Now with this one, uh, they they kind of don't have that excuse anymore of like. Oh, this is you know this was made for the Switch or at least for a console uh, platform and whatnot. Uh, but I was watching you stream it a little bit through our Discord, and yeah, like the performance of that game seems really rough at times, especially when you're running out in the open open yeah, field. Yeah, especially when there's like more than like four enemy spawns, you get a lot of like frame drops and and what is it? There's also really long loading times in the game if you transition to like different places. So, oh, okay. Mm. Um, I heard like I'm already on the third version, right? They patched the game three times to fix these problems, so I'm not sure if they're patching it even more. But I, I can't imagine if you're trying to play the game without the patch. So, oh, I I don't know if it's a capture card thing on your end or if it's actually inherent to the game. But when you were streaming it through our uh, Discord, like in our, in the stream, there was a lot of screen tearing. Very no, that, that's that's tearing. my that's that's on okay. my end. Uh, but okay. the slowdowns are on the game's end. Like if right. you try to fight like like you know, like if you go near a gate, a gate is a, a location where the monsters usually spawn. And usually in this game, if there's like four monsters spawn, oh, prepare for some frame dips, so are there any I, uh like uh new returning characters that you've uh, found yourself, you know, like you're thinking, Oh, like I wanna get to know them better or whatnot um, already? Usually when you start a new factory game, it's usually in a clean state. Um, there are some returning characters, but that's only if you have a save data from Rune Factory 4. So if you do, you get uh, Margaret and Doug returning as like a guest character. Do they do, do they just do anything or do they just stand around and then you they just kind of talk to you? That's basically it. You know, I guess uh, they do have a side quest for you. If you complete okay. their side quest, you get the uh, Rune Factory 4 costume for the protagonist. Okay. And is uh, is uh, do you get like any sort of like uh, party members or whatever in this version? Like, is the is the combat system drastically different from Four Special? No, I wouldn't say it's. 
uh, different. It's basically the same thing, but now it's in 3D, so it might be the weird transition. It's like all of a sudden you're playing from a 2D to a 3D game sort of thing, you know? And there's all real-time combat, right? Yeah, it's always been real-time combat. Okay. Um, but yeah, if you have a save data from Rune Factory 4, you can you can get all the goodies from, from there. Um, I think if you want any of the other protagonist costumes, uh, you'll have to buy the DLCs. Um, they did give one of them for free, which is the Tide of Destiny costumes. Um, Tide of Destiny is the uh, Rune Factory game that was released on on the Wii and the and PS3 at one point. Is the DLC only for cosmetics only from like past Rune Factory games, or is there any other sort yeah, of? Yeah, they're cosmetic only. It'll be in your dresser, and you could dress up as different characters. So. so, are you enjoying yourself? Like outside of the performance issues. Like, are you are you feeling it? Is the story good? Like, I don't uh, have much of a like. I've never played a Rune Factory game, but like, so it's just like a good jumping on point. I know I just asked you like three uh, questions in a little, row, but I'm a little lukewarm about it. But um, it's a Rune Factory game. I mean, if you enjoy playing Rune Factory games, it's you know it'll be something that satisfies that itch. I mean, I think for me personally, I always have a strong attachment to the Rune Factory games. I played the first one back, you know, when it first came out. I mean, I was like, mm, you know. This is a pretty chill game for a portable DS, you know. It wasn't special or groundbreaking, but it was just like, oh, it just you're just playing Horus Moon, except you have dungeon exploring. That was it, and the combat was really basic in that game, right? Yeah, I think I think it found a lot of fans because it's like it's a very well-rounded, cozy experience. You know, it's not like like it might be not like mind-blowing or outstanding, but it like it's con- it feels consistent on like all ends of the spectrum. Like it just does enough to. To really just nail it, it's like the sum of its parts, uh, more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, and then around the third game it came out, then that's when they kind of improved the combat a lot. It was more fast paced. You, your combo, you could actually like do combos, and it feels more like a like a really action game. So, so that's when I think the series really took off when the third game came out, and then the fourth game just basically just took the third game. And just did the exact same thing. But uh, the problem with the fourth game was they added these events called the town events. And they are the worst thing they ever did to the series. But uh, well, what are town events? Just like briefly. I was going to say, like, what, yeah, like, why? What are they and why are they so bad? Um, town events is um, it's kind of like an event uh, to what's it? It's like a event that's triggered by RNG. And these event is required to see certain character backstories or for certain parts of the game to progress and it is completely triggered by rng you have no control over it the only thing you do is save each day and just wait for the next day and just like oh did that event spawn it's like no it did not okay well i guess i'll just wait till the next day oh it seems like torture (laughs) right uh they did this to slow down progression because apparently people beat the third game way too fast right because you just complete all the you know like the girls like like was it each of your um, love interests will give you a request. If you complete all of them, it's like, oh, you can marry the girl and you can go to straight to the last boss, right? So I guess they find like, oh, wow, people are just speedrunning this game, so we need to slow down the progress to improve more time sinks or something like that. And and just to make it clear, like Rune Factory 4 already has plenty enough content that if that system wasn't in place, you'd still have like 50, 60 hours worth of game. Yeah. So- I don't even know why they thought it was a good idea. You know, it's like uh, I in my Japanese file for Rune Factory 4, I couldn't trigger one of the marry conditions to the love interest I wanted, right? It's like I can marry this girl because her event never pops in. But I can marry everybody else because I, I see all their events. But <laughs> the one girl, 
Uh, I wanted to get married in that game. I just couldn't trigger events for some reason. You know, I I think I did. I think I did this once. In order to trigger an event, I basically just kept like sleeping each day for like two years straight. Then the event finally popped in. That that, that, that that's the life I want. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, now the event is here. It's like okay. Um, I think the worst part was like uh, if you want to trigger the third story arc in the in the fourth game, you would need this this town event to pop in too. Um, the thing is, in five town events are back, but the thing is, they made it less required in order to trigger certain things. So, so I guess that's the good thing. I, I know so you're they took really the, they, so they took the idea and they just kind of softened it a bit, trying to try to make it not so annoying in terms of the RNG. Yeah, well, I think the RNG is still there. It's just now it's not required to to get married in in five. I think that's oh, how I see. That, that's how it goes because it, you know in order to get married in four, you have to see all that character's town event to get married, right? So, someone who hasn't played this game, like, is the end goal to get married? Like, can you you can complete the game without doing that? Um, you can. Um, like, no. I think I think you the have to, third you have game. To get I think the second and the third game is the only one that requires getting married to get to the end game. Because in the second game, um, when you get married, you play as the kids, like the next generation of characters. And Oh, I remember hearing about that. I think we talked about that in some context in a previous podcast. The problem was the next generation of characters doesn't have as a well of a development as the first half. It's like they put all the work on the first half, but didn't put much effort in the second half of the game. So that's kind of like the problem with the second game. Like, um, once your kids took over, it's like, oh yeah, there's just not much to do, right? It kind of feels like a weird epilogue sort of thing. Well, the the game is expanded a little bit when you start playing as a kid, but it's like, there isn't like any new character much, and all these characters just you know, just kind of ecstatic, and they're just kids, right? It feels, so, it feels, it kind of feels like this major event, like, oh, now you play as the next generation, but then just nothing comes out of it. Yeah, that's how I feel about the second game, right? Do you know if there's similar systems in five yet, or are you just not that far? Um, no, there shouldn't be that, but I can, oh, okay. you can have, like, I think you can have free kids in this one, but like, I don't think they affect the game at all, right? That's the other games. Um, the third game, you're required to get married to fight the last boss. <laughs> so basically, Naturally. yeah, basically when you get married, your wife gets kidnapped. It's like in real life. <laughs> your wife gets kidnapped and that's uh, and your goal is to defeat the bad guy that, that kidnapped your wife. And that's how the third game goes, right? Um, the fourth game is just like it's not required. and um, But the problem is there is one town event that is tied to triggered one the story arc so if you don't tie that you can't you can't start the third half of your game so it'll be interesting to see when this game finally does get announced for localization and then we'll have one of us probably playing it like under embargo and we'll have to be like pretend we never heard chow talk about the uh japanese release of the game oh we'll just be just talking about out. a japanese release obviously yeah that's you know like referring to yeah we're, we, you know we, we've got our ducks in a row like that's all we're talking about always kind of a weird line to you that you have to thread with these like staggered releases across uh, regions. Surely by that time, well, it'll be running on the Switch Pro, this rumored Switch Pro, and it'll uh, performance will just be perfect, flawless. Buy a new console to solve all your performance issues. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a there's a certain new console version of a game that did solve one major issue that we might talk about later. Hint, hint. Uh, 
Did you have any other final comments on your time with Rune Factory Five so far? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I could talk about some of the characters, but uh, I think this character that I really like so far is this character called uh, Fuqua, and what she she is like this rare girl or animal werewolf sort of thing, and yeah, sort of. You probably seen that on my stream, and she's like. Oh yeah, it's like uh, she doesn't speak human language; she speaks Gal language. I'm like, okay, okay. So I, it's like, how do you communicate with her? It's like you look at her eyes. Oh, okay. You know what? Obviously, they'll just localize it as doggy speak. (laughs) Oh damn! Mm. Can you marry her? Uh, yes, you actually could. Oh, cool. For those that would be interested in that, there you go. (laughs) <laughs> all yeah, right that's so comments of, of rune factory Five. no what a great comment I, out of left field i wasn't expecting it but memorable but yeah i will be interested once you get further in the game to see like how you think of it uh once you get into like more of the mid and end game progression and start to get really into the you know more difficult stuff all right so now i'm going to go over to what i guess Josh thought we were going to start with, but I didn't get the memo, so sorry. <laughs> Adam, so uh, I know you had originally planned to play through some like near uh, replicant remaster and a few other things, but then you got sidetracked by uh, by a certain project. Uh, what have you been doing the last seven days? Tell us about what you had been working on. Well, the main thing I got sidetracked by was work, but the other thing well, I got besides that, by... we can't talk. We can't <laughs> talk about that here. Yeah. Um... So basically, uh, I built my current PC in 2017. Uh, and after that, like the last few years, there's been like a huge improvement specifically in like CPU performance, like staggering improvement in terms of uh, all the processes and uh, all the calculations that can be done. And I've actually have started to notice games where I'm, I was beginning, I was getting like CPU restricted. Um, for example, like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, whenever I was in a city with a bunch of NPCs, you know, on doing whatever all these NPCs do, it would like just really chug. And it wasn't like visual processing that was a problem, not my GPU, but it was, you know, like CPU uh, computational stuff. So I decided to build a new PC. Well, that wasn't the plan originally. The, 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 the plan originally was just to update the PC, but then um, I kind of just over time got, I decided, you know what, while I'm at it, I'll get a new GPU. I'll get uh, one of these cool PCIe 4.0 compatible uh, SSD drives for the really high, really fast loading. And I'll now get, you have no reason for a PS5. Yeah, now I'll get 64 gigs of RAM instead of 32 gigs of RAM. Um, I'll, I'll just update my, I'll, I'll get a six terabyte hard disk drive because why not? Well, and then eventually. Well, part of the reason decide. why you ended up going down this route is because you switched from. Uh, like a previous generation Intel CPU to a Ryzen one, so you had to get a new motherboard, yeah. and you wanted yeah. to fit that in a new case, which kind of ended yeah. up just dovetailing into might as well <laughs> just basically just, literally literally just I just built a second PC like my my the one I was using still completely intact, and I could turn boot it up right now if I wanted, but I decided just to build a completely new PC um, RTX thirty ninety. Ryzen fifty. Oh, you, what, you got a thirty ninety. So, so, so you're All joining right. James in like the bleeding Jeez. edge area. You guys yes. are. You got the. You guys got the uh, Wonka's golden ticket. I, like, I, 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 love, I got it. 
I, I love how you say, oh, you're joining uh, me at the high end when it's like, you have a 3092, you know? Yeah, but yeah. my CPU is two years old, which is like ancient. But Look, anyways, not, uh, you have a 9900K, you're still good. Yeah, I mean, so, you're, you, guys are, you guys are all good because you still can mine that sweet Ethereum. You don't have any of these GIMP mutant uh, high models that like are gimping that feature. You guys are just living in the golden for era. For what it's worth, I've never hey. looked into that and I have no interest in it. <laughs> Hey Josh, I have an RDNA two GPU, so I'm I'm just using my graphics card to game as God intended. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, we live in a world now, sadly, where computer silicon shortage. You know, we we are you can see crazy social media videos about rated of Best Buys with a new thirty eighty Ti. It's like, how difficult was it for you to get all those parts? Your new SSD, your new CPU. So. Uh, it seems I got the GPU first. I actually got that a while ago. Like it was one of the first pieces I got in like last December. Um, I think I think what makes it bad but not insane. Yeah, I think I think what made getting the GPU a little easier is that like I was like if I want to get a 3080 or 3090, every single one of these brands has like their own aftermarket version of it. You know, like there's the the MSI or the EVGA or the Asus ROG and like there's so there's so many different like SKUs right and so I actually went to Walmart's website and I they had a bunch of SKUs listed and I did like stock alerts for all of them and I one day just got my stock alert for the 3090 I have now just went up and I was able like even just even a few minutes later it was still up and I was able to go in and purchase it I think that makes it easier because you're basically can seek out multiple different versions of a 3090 or whatever versus just like a singular ps5 or whatever right like a singular right one skew two, or two skews yeah, that, if you include that everyone is aiming for versus a scatter shot so yeah that, that i just so i i was able to get it at msrp um it's i mean it's already it's still marked up because it's aftermarket or whatever but um so yeah and it seems like cpus have become a little bit easier to get in recent months uh like the ryzen uh series 5900s and whatnot and they i just saw a stock at a website called woot.com which i've never been to but <laughs> that i yeah i purchased it from there and uh so that was the last piece i needed basically all right the big question here so you got everything set up what was the first game you ran on that the first game i ran was east eight like most of donna oh man <laughs> I, I, I wanted to run that like 200 fps yeah, I I wanted to run that first because it's it's like the game itself is not like a powerhouse showcase game really, but the PC port has a lot of really cool options once they updated it. Once, Thank once you, Durante. Fixed it, yeah. PH three. Um, and I remember you know like when I was playing through it, you know, back when it released a few years ago, like I had to you know concede like okay, I can't do the super high shadows or the or the uh, super sampling and whatnot to get good performance. I was like, I wonder how, what performance I can get now, and you can I can pretty much max it out, you know, super sample. So you're ready for the upcoming East Nine PC port, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. You never um, know. And you're they also might, gonna you're gonna problem. go back to uh, Valhalla and replay through that whole thing at yep. better frame rates. <laughs> yeah. But also, even games like Neo Two, when that released on PC just a few months ago, um, I ran it at 1440p versus 4K because you know just for 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 performance reasons so yeah you know now hopefully i can play games in 4k for a couple of years here before you know things exponentially improve even more because that's how it works 
Yeah, that was my week. I don't know if that's very interesting to talk about, but yeah, I got a new well, PC. That'll it made a lot of people me. jealous, so... <laughs> You know, I was vicariously like, like excited for you. I don't know why. Maybe that just shows how dumb my priorities are. But it's like, do I want to build a new PC? No, I don't need it. I don't need it. <laughs> I'm hoping at the very least that like CPU uh, improvements slow down a bit so that the CPU I have can last for a while. And then well, if I have to, you know, get a new GPU, I can do that. But well, Adam, I'm sorry to say that just a few days ago, AMD announced that. Uh, Late this year, they're going to release a revised version of Zen 3 CPUs with this new V-Cache that, imp that improves uh, gaming performance by, on average, 15%. I don't think yeah, I understood dude. a word of that. <laughs> I think literally the last 10 minutes. 15%, I know, I know what that means. <laughs> Gamer, I know what that means. <laughs> I mean, that just comes with the territory. Like yeah, you, every there, There's always going to be something new. Like, they're better. still waiting for the George PC build stream. Or our feature. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> when, 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 they, when they can be, I'll, I'll maybe do it. I like my little Chrome. I'm actually, like, oh. so I've, I've, I've only built two PCs. And it's one of those things where it's like, even the second time I did it, it's like I almost felt like I had no idea what I'm doing, but kind of just take it slow and read the manual and you figure it out. I feel stupid every time I build a PC. I, even though it's kind of self-explanatory, it's like, I just have bad luck with technology in general. The one thing that actually caught me off guard this time was, this is just dumb, but like when I was going to boot it, I had plugged in my monitor into the motherboard because that's what I had done before with an Intel CPU that had integrated graphics. And I kept getting the error that was basically like no, no visual output. And I was confused, like, why isn't this working? It's plugged in. Is my motherboard dead? Ah, shit. And then I realized that Ryzen CPUs, or just the one I had, doesn't support that. So, like, the motherboard output literally wouldn't do anything. Yeah, I had to plug it into my GPU. It was, like, just literally plugged in the wrong spot, but it, like, stumped me for, like, 10, 15 minutes. Like, why is this not working? That's the, so. that's, the that's kind of the horrors of, like, like yeah. even just PC building, but also a, like, PC error you may have. It's, like, this could be, like, 20 different things. Uh, yeah. Yeah. At least you. At least you didn't get to the point where you go to turn it on. And the worst feeling is like if nothing turns on, that just kind of tells you, oh, I missed a plug-in somewhere, or like I'm I'm forgetting something. It's when you like it's when you turn it on and like the fans spin for like a second and then shut off. And that's when you're like, oh shit, something bad. So <laughs> at least you avoided like the worst case scenario. Uh, so also, it is kind of like. Go ahead. The the most difficult part of setting up the PC was once I had it all built together syncing my xbox controller to it that was the most the most frustrating part uh, was the syncing well if that if that's i'm kind of being, i'm, kind of, like I'm kind of joking but it's 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 it is stupidly it's like, weird why, why, yeah, why is this so difficult so troublesome. Why, why, like, why do you so take difficult? so long like i i had to you know you press the sync buttons like exactly how they tell you to and like it doesn't work like seven times in a row but the eighth time it works and then it works okay, from so this is, like, the, the, i have the, no like, idea that, that exact issue is, is still why I, I i went back to just playing wired on a controller for pc yeah it's the syncing is i don't understand like it just doesn't work and then you do the same thing over and over and eventually it does like, okay sure whatever the next time there's this big like cyberpunk 2 if if anyone's well, interested in that you get to play it because you're the only one they'll be able to run it well i haven't played game. cyberpunk yet and i i plan to i know it's you know got mixed reviews uh in reception but you know i figure once it's patched up a bit at least give it a 
an academic yeah i've heard i've heard, I've heard the uh, pc version is the only one even worth even thinking about right so yeah eventually all right so i've been putting this off but i do know that late last night james and i are still working through final fantasy 11 i promise i will try to flesh in some other games other than this 20 year old mmo but as of last week it's really all i've been playing i don't know if it's all that james has been playing but we have finished go ahead I was just going to say, I have been uh, helping a couple of friends of mine through uh, Shadowbringers since they finally got to it. So nothing so but fancy just, MMOs. Yeah, you're basically house. just straddling 11 and 14. Crazy person. We have finished the uh, the Chains of Promathia expansion, which to anyone who hasn't played Final Fantasy XI, that just sounds like a title of a game you have nothing, you have no interest in. But it's pretty much like the first part of Final Fantasy XI that feels like fully featured. It feels complete. It has like by far the most story content, by far the most locations. It, it's by far doing the, the most, most engines for better. Or yeah. It's, it has like the most, like, I guess when we, what we had played up till now was what was boxed with the original release in for the uh, localized version. And a lot of it is just kind of like setting up the world building, setting up, the foundations of the game but it's pretty story light especially the base base game which we had finished a couple weeks ago where you get to only to level 50 and then even rise of the xylart gets it that doesn't stretch it that much further it's like another couple hours maybe like eight hours um well, but then chains of promathia i mean, the, I mean rise of the xylart was definitely longer than like eight hours just based off of all the shit you have to do but uh story content wise yeah not much extra so yeah so when people talk about mmos having good stories whether they're talking about chains of promathia itself or final fantasy 14 or other mmos chains of promathia is the first one in this one where i feel like this would be a story worth playing in we talked that we had a discussion last week or the week before about dragon quest 10 offline and then the, we also we obviously had the canned version of final fantasy 11's mobile remake of some sort where I feel like this is the story so far that you'd want to play this for. What had, what had happened in the base game, eh, it's fine. It, it was I was more entertained by the novelty of some of the way that this game was set up as like a more sandboxy MMO, uh, things like that. Where Chains of Promathia is where I'm like, this is a legit good Final Fantasy story. And you can even see like some of the inspirations. Um, it it kind of has, without spoiling anything, it kind of has some rhyming verses with the uh, Final Fantasy VII story in terms of reunion. If you don't know what that is, I haven't spoiled you. Uh, it has some things that sound similar, that have some similar sounding aspects to the Final Fantasy XII story involving Magisite. You can kind of see like it takes inspirations from other games or, or has aspects that would go on to inspire other games, but it creates something entirely new. And it's, it's the type of story where I almost want to play through it again, if I could, because it, it's not straightforward, but in a good way. And what I mean by that is like it has lots of moving parts with lots of involved characters. And sometimes you have misconceptions about things that are told to you that are lies or that are deeply held beliefs by certain NPCs that end up not being true or end up being true under a different context. It's really almost this is going to sound really pretentious, but like cerebral where it's it's almost where it's like you have to reevaluate what you've learned 
at every chapter to see like does this make sense how does this fit into what i know ahead of time it's really like it does it was come interesting together, to say like the yeah, ending is actually together. legitimately good i i i I feel like it had really good twists in like after the well at the final boss where it's like oh wow actually that makes a lot of sense and it's like a almost touching like when you when you get the big picture for for like just to be clear Chains of Promethea is kind of like the end walker of Final Fantasy XI where this was the end of the originally intended storyline so the expansions after this are stuff that wasn't originally intended and it's kind of like adding to it. Um, it does seem like there's already bits and pieces of the like Tales of Atragon story that we've been kind of like teased because I did read a little bit about the synopsis and it's like, oh yeah, there is a little like just the hints of things that would be at play. But the overall storyline for Final Fantasy XI was always intended through Chains of Promethea. So that's and you can kind of, you can kind of see that in kind of the way that the world map is laid out where in both in the base game and the first two expansions rise of the Zylar and chains of Promethea, the way that new areas are added they're like layered on top of existing regions where you've been to the jugner forest but now you can access an area called carpenter's landing attached to it and like that and that repeat what i just said that idea like eight times or ten times and you have a bunch of different areas that are kind of like expanded radially or like in parallel and then when you get to like future areas, Seekers of Adeline, Wings of the Goddess, um, Adurgan, it's always kind of like now you're going to a different continent or now you're going to the past or now, you know, where it's almost more like sequestered away uh, in a more linear fashion. So I feel like this is where it might feel start to feel a little less, little bit less sandboxy where they're like, OK, we've kind of rounded out the existing playable space. And I'm using playable space both literally and like figuratively. And now we're going to extend the storyline by introducing a new region involving new factions, new characters, kind of in a more traditional sense. So in a way, that's almost feels like, I don't want to say disappointing, but it's like, I, I kind of wanted them to keep going with the paradigm that they had go, that they were going, where they're just going to keep layering this thing uh, like an onion. But now it's more like a different course altogether. Uh, but in a way, maybe it'll be nice to, to have something that feels different. Yeah. Um, so I think the one thing that stood out to me about uh, Chains of Promethea is that um, so the base game obviously was a very early PS2 game that was also an MMO. So obviously it's not going to look as good as a single player PS2 game. And Rise of the Zylar doesn't look significantly better than that. But there's some areas in Chains of Promethea that are like actually impressive considering the age of the expansion. Like yeah, um, the, the go ahead. Like the last region that you enter is very interesting. Has like the it has a really like cerebral like aesthetic to it. it. Has like a really kind of fascinating atmosphere, and it also has this deal where you're standing on top of this like barrier on top of water, and underneath you can kind of see these like really like angelic like shark looking things that can actually pop out from the bottom barrier and attack you if you walk too close. And then above there's like these like jellyfish, like angel things that you can, that you have to keep an eye out for. And it's like really fascinating. Cause like 
those character models look interesting, the area looks interesting, and then it's like, it actually feels dense because you have enemies not just in front of you, but below and above you. Yeah, it plays with verticality. And it's kind of weird because it is... um. It's subtle enough over time that you don't maybe realize like how the fidelity of the areas and the animations and the character models is increasing. But then you go back to like some of the very base game areas, like right outside the cities, and it's just flat textures and bare terrain with enemies just like dotted around, just like patrolling in circles, where it's just like, oh, this is quite a market improvement from where you start. So you definitely do feel it, uh, when, especially when you go back to revisit old areas. Yeah. Um, the other thing that stood out to me, at least with the story, is that there's a kind of interesting thematic aspect of it where all of your party members have something that they're either hiding or just outright lying about. Like, um, and I, the game doesn't really go too deep into this, it seems like. You kind of have, um, so I guess I'll just talk about it. But both Brian and I saw this one cutscene kind of closer to the end of Chains of Permalathia where one of the main party members, or quote-unquote party members, more like an NPC, in the Chains of Promethea storyline, Louverance, well, it turns out that the Louverance that we knew was not actually him. It was somebody else in disguise. Yeah, so we assuming like, his okay. identity. So we looked, him, we looked this up on like the wiki, being like, okay, what, what the hell's up with this? And then we look, and like the actual Louverance's like, wiki page on the Final Fantasy wiki is like, a paragraph and then the one for the actual like well the character that we actually uh uh deal with is super super long <laughs> you know what this reminds me of kingdom hearts ansem versus ansem <laughs> like <laughs> like the, like the the real ansem versus the fake ansem who might actually be more interesting just and there actually are, like, if you wanted to be kind of cynical, there are a couple areas where you could kind of see, like, oh, that's kind of Kingdom Hearts-ish. So basically I'm saying George should play this game at some point. You'll speak in my but... language now. <laughs> One thing that I was kind of, like, so some parts of the, uh, because of the thing I mentioned before about how you kind of have to digest information as it comes in and realize that certain things you knew ended up being false or only true in a very specific context, there are some parts that I was legit a little bit confused about. But then I go pull up like old forums from a decade ago and I see people saying like, I'm confused by this part of the story. And I'm like, all right, I'm not alone. Uh, like, I'm not just dumb and didn't get something that was obvious. But it does sort of make sense. And it's kind of why I said that I wanted to replay it. And I know we're speaking kind of in generalities, but um, some of the main characters that you learn about are the, the, the major NPC of this expansion is an elven girl named Prish or Prish. And she is an important enough character that she ended up being the representative for the game in Dissidia Duodecim alongside, I believe, Shantoto, who was just a kind of a, a basic character from the base game. And she kind of has like this, um, I don't want to spoil anything, which sounds silly because I'm like, it's like making the assumption that a ton of people are going to go ahead and replay through this game. But she has kind of like a lot of different character traits into something that's kind of unique, where she is a younger character. So you say like, ew, child character in an RPG. But then you learn stuff about her background, which is that explains why she appears the way she does, but she still kind of behaves in a, in a way different from the adult characters. She has this relationship with this other elven girl named uh, Omiya, who they have kind of an interesting background where they've known each other for a long time, but not as like not as like a standard acquaintanceship. That uh, acquaintance they have like a very specific details to the circumstances of their how they know each other. 
And you kind of learn this where you see a cutscene and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why does this appear this way? This event that happened 10 years ago. And then you learn something a chapter and a half later that kind of puts it under new light. And you're like, oh, now I kind of want to go back and like reevaluate what I learned back then because now I, now I have the necessary information to digest it. So it's very kind of like a non-linear storytelling, even though the chapters go in a, in a straightforward order. So it's really kind of, I think it's impressive. Like back this MMO from 19 years ago was trying to tell like a fully fledged Final Fantasy story with lots of, lots of actors on the stage. Sometimes you're not sure who the antagonist is or who's just an un uneasy alliance, but like you have aligned goals. Yeah, I it's feel like, I feel like Chains of Promethea specifically, and well, actually, if there ever was a Final Fantasy XI offline, if they could flush out like the like the base game stuff, the Xylart stuff, add voice acting, and actually like just polish up a couple of things about Chains of Promethea, that would be a really compelling story for a lot of people, I feel like. I think so, too. So it is a little bit unfortunate where it's like, I suggest you play this, but it also comes packaged in this 19-year-old MMO that you just have to deal with. Uh, but the story is pretty damn good. Uh, so I, I was pleasantly surprised, and I'm glad that I didn't bounce off Final Fantasy XI too early to not have experienced it. I've been hearing people say that the storytelling does actually continue to be good into the next couple of expansions. So I'm, I'm interested about that. So. The only thing that I will say is that it's not perfect, and I know that's an obvious statement, yeah. but... Um, Whoever designed the uh, Paramod or however you... Uh, Paramod door, I think it is. God. Oh, what, yeah. What, um, what the hell was wrong with them? Like, legitimately. So the, the, what that is, is that there is a part of the story where you have to climb up a mountain. And by climb up, I mean, there's no jumping in this game. There's no platforming. So it's basically like walking along these slippery like paths where you have to hope that your character model doesn't slide off due to like the way that the that the collision works between like your character's position and the elevation of the terrain. And then there are certain places where you're like where you are expected to like slide your character from one platform to another. It's I know without context that sounds like uh a bunch of, you know, nebulous stuff, but it's it it was something where it's like you didn't need to do this. Your game engine couldn't support this. Also in the storytelling department there are a bunch of times where your character ends up getting like knocked out and waking up in like a different location due to different like circumstances. It happens like four times. Like, I don't know how many chapters start with like your character, you know, on their ass and they wake up and they'll be like, where am I? Time to figure that out. <laughs> and so it's like, all right, you've, you've gone to this well too, too many times maybe. And then finally there are like these, there, this game, this expansion, this will be my last comment on it. This expansion has a ton of really good characters from Preach and Omia that I mentioned, Luberance, especially when you learn the specifics about his, you know, history. And then um, Nagmalata is kind of like a secondary antagonist who you're quite not sure like what side he's on until the very end. And even um, even the uh, the Cardinal, who has another sort of like you learn a ton about them as as the uh, expansion goes on about what side they're on and what explains their existence. But then all these good characters end up being almost overshadowed, sadly, by this trio of Taru Taros, which is the diminutive race of this game, that are just there to be like comic relief, which is fine to have comic relief, but they show up like in every other cutscene, just being dumbasses, just like 
it's kind of like you have Huey, Dewey, and Louie showing up in the middle of Kingdom Hearts every other scene. Or it's just like, why are you here? Can you just go away? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's just they don't they don't add anything. They they I think they actually do kind of subtract, especially like at the very end when like you've you've passed through the climax. You're at the denouement of the expansion. You're like, finally, like I've reached the end point, and then they show up. It's like, please just just go away. Like I hate these characters. They 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 honestly do bring the expansion down. So the but yeah, it's I I'm glad that they're still supporting Final Fantasy XI. There literally is like a June update like this month where they're adding more of the voracious resurgence. Um, I guess I, I wonder if maybe in a couple of years we'll see them try something on the lines of the failed mobile re-release. Uh, because it is it is a story worth experiencing, but it is a little bit impenetrable the way it is on PC right now. So kind of a shame that i'm talking about all these good things that I most people will never be inclined to experience i still think it's not totally impossible that 11 sees a remake i i don't think i can't say it's impossible but all right so now we're going to move on to uh let's see the last person to talk i believe is josh Wait, uh, I've been, the I've last been person? Dang. Been Wait, who, 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 did I, who did I miss? Oh, I missed, oh. I missed George. Damn it. Whatever, whatever. I'll caught up in FFR right. when you forgot. Mine, mine barely so. counts this week anyway, to be completely right. honest. You go, George. Uh, yeah, I'll go. Yeah, I've, I've buried the lead there. Might as well go damn it. it. Now I feel bad. <laughs> George, please, um, please regale us with the tales of your last week. Okay. Uh, so I actually haven't played that much in the past week. Just, uh, just been a bit busy with other stuff. But I did make some time to get to basically the end of Resident Evil Village, um, which feels like it came out like years ago, but it has only been like a couple of weeks. I'm just like, you know, you know when you're like, well, the last time you talked about it, you said you barely, you barely had a chance to start it. So now I think this is a, this actually fits good because now you're able to close out what you brought up a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, uh, but it's still because they're not long games at all. Like that, that's that's what bugs me. It's it's taken me forever to finish this game, and I've just the like last person to have ever completed. Everyone else has already. The, that's the, the that's entire, what it feels like. The entire population of the world has already beat this game. Well, it's it feels like every, you go. <laughs> every, everyone already had like the time to talk about it and the time to be like, oh my god, this bit's amazing, and oh the rest of it's like this. So like, I feel like I've had my opinions coloured. Um, like I'm sure. You guys probably heard like there's there's one chapter in the game that's the scariest thing horror's ever done. Like if you heard that sort of opinion floating around, there's the dollhouse chapter, um, and that's become kind of infamous. Like people go, oh, that's the scariest thing. Like that's the scariest. The we're, we're concerned about where you are in the game. I'm in the last act now. Like I'm a, okay. So I'm I'm literally at the home the home stretch now. I'll probably finish it tonight. Um, what but, do you think? Eh. Well, it, oh wow! It, it, it's good. Wow! Like, it's still, it's still <laughs> like Resident Evil Village is still like a good game, but like it is not a scratch on Resident Evil Seven. I have no idea where people are getting that. Resident Evil, uh, to be fair, Resident Evil Seven is my favorite horror game of all time. So maybe that's like a high bar, but it's like I don't think it ever matches it. I, I, and don't, I don't think, think it should be compared. I think they were going for a completely different take, so I feel like people just keep comparing it to 7, and I feel it should be on its own identity. I think that's how you should look at it. It is a direct sequel to 7, though, so I mean, it is fair, to be honest. Yeah, like, I, I'd get that. Like, the comparison when people go 
like, oh, Resident Evil 2 remakes, not like 7. Like, yeah, that makes sense, but in the sense that Village is a direct sequel to 7 with the same characters, with the same style, with the same viewpoint, like, I think the comparisons can be made. Um, it just feels I, like, I love... it, like, I'm just uh, kind of following off of your thoughts. Like, I think what you wanted was, like, a lot more along, like, the horror lines that 7 yeah, was going for, while 8, 8 was more, more going for, like, an action approach. And it is good for that. Like it, it's it's a lot of fun, but I I don't think I've been scared once. Like I think maybe there's been like a couple of times where I've been a bit like spooked, but that is it. Like it is not a scary game. Uh, yeah, I think the structure and... is weird, right? Because like after you uh, complete like the very first part uh, with the uh, late lady Dimitrescu and the sisters and whatnot, it it kind of transforms into like sort of like an amusement park of like. If you like, you know, when you go to this section, you'll get this particular experience. And after you're done with this section, you go to another thing and then you'll get a different experience. But it's like, it's, it, it doesn't carry like a, a single like line of thought. It's more of you're, you're getting bits and experiences from like different sections of the game. It's kind of yeah. like sam- a sampler almost. Yeah. And I, I think a, a big part of it is that, like I say, so many people bigged up this one section of the game. They're like, I had people say to me before, like, this this will be the scariest thing Resident Evil you played. Like, if you don't think the rest of the game's scary, like, at least this bit will be. Um, and that excited me because with Resident Evil 7, the whole thing is scary, but it's those first few hours that are really scary. And those are the bits that, like, stuck with me the most. So I was like, fine, I can deal with, like, the rest of the game not matching up. If that one bit really wows me, then that's fine. Uh, and it's the dollhouse bit people say was amazing. And I, I just don't get it. I, I, like, it was a little bit creepy, and the enemy which is like this big like gross looking baby thing like it is a bit creepy and it's like oh wow but like it's like 20 minutes 20 minute section then it's done and i walked away from it like oh okay so that's that's the scariest bit of the game and it's done and like by that point you've you know you've already done like one of the big boss encounters so like you've kind of got like a nice arsenal already like you've already got a bunch of weapons um, and they take away your weapons for the dollhouse bit, so I guess maybe that's where some people are coming from, but it just didn't do much for me. Like, I feel uh, that's the scariest bit in Resident Evil 8, and it I feel that one scene alone is scarier than everything in that Resident Evil 7 has to offer. But Resident Evil 7 really? is an entire horror game. That's how I looked at it. It's like... I- it's like, oh, well, Resident Evil 8 is not a scary game, but their one creepy scene is scarier than anything in Resident Evil 7. That's how... So, so this is the so. Let me go ask you, Chow. Did you know anything about the dollhouse going in? Did, did anyone tell you anything about the dollhouse bit going in? No. So that's the thing. I think this is the where the where the big yeah, divider yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Like George, unfortunately, got like preconceived notions because he already got like out, like you know, from from colleagues, from friends, whatever. Like t- like hyping this game, like this part about it. Where I think that that part is most effective, and you don't know anything about it, and that's kind of like the 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 weird. Um, danger of like you I, Spoilers, I, get the, I guess the, you yeah yeah people want to like share their excitement that's yeah. fine but it, it it'll affect people that like you're you're hyping this game up so much you're you're building it on top of like this like this this mountain of like expectation already that like there's no way this person will could ever well, hope to meet or like the, the, like that dahas bit is way 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 more effective if you knew nothing about it yeah because mm-hmm. um, you good, go in yeah. there and you'll be like oh it's like I have no weapons, and there's creepy noises coming. It's like, what the hell do I do? And you see the creatures, like, oh shit! Yeah, like I had that, I had that moment as well. 
Um, like I definitely, when you walk up the stairs and it just comes out of nowhere and it is like a, it is a cool moment. And it's very like, it's reminiscent for me of some of the stuff that Seven did, like when you go to fight uh, Marguerite in, I think she's the second boss fight in the game. And then she literally just pops out the window. And I, I remember I, like I screamed, I like, that was amazing. That sticks out so well. But, yeah. But like when you, when you're going to that uh, part, like no one told you that was going to be, Oh, this is like the scariest part of the game. Right. True. True. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think it is an expectations thing. Uh, that is to say, like Resident Evil Village is still like a like a great game. It's still like a it's I would if I had to review it, I would definitely give it like an eight. But it's just again, it comes to a, a place of like Resident Evil Seven got me into horror games, and it makes it a, a genre that I, like I get excited about now. So like Village probably had no chance of ever living up to that. Like it's still a lot of fun, uh, and I will finish it, and I probably will go through it again on uh, Madhouse or Hardcore, whatever they call it this time. But like yeah, like slight, slightly, slightly let down. Uh, but again, don't take that as like, oh, Resident Evil Village sucks. George didn't like it. It's like George had unrealistic expectations that weren't met. <laughs> you know, it was a surprise. Whole, like, that yeah, every yeah. Week. Listeners should just take this whole bit as a case study. It's like if people want to uh, around you want to hype up something, say keep it to yourself. I want to get to it and experience it in my own way without any preconceived notions. Exactly. Agreed. Whenever I listen to you guys talk about horror games, I'm just like, man, I'm such a weenie. Like, I tried playing weenie. Amnesia once. And <laughs> the thing is, I'm not really phased by horror games nowadays. Because I actually played uh, Resident Evil when I was a kid. You know, like, my cousin, like, rented all these games, and I just played them as a child. And I'm like, okay, I'm just used to it now. It's like, it's not, not creepy at all. Well, I'm one of those dumbasses that has played only 5 and 6. And I'm like, these games are just action games. They're just fun co-op games. Uh, to be like, I don't think of them as horror games. And well, then when Final, or no, why did I say Final? Uh, Resident Evil Seven came out. I'm like, <laughs> well, I think the yeah. thing is like, you know, it, uh, if there's using gore and and stuff like that, it's just not creepy anymore. It needs like a psychological kind of horror, something that kind of hits you mentally in order to kind of really scare you. That's how I see horror. Games well, yeah, like there's there's a certain like uh, horror styling where it's more built on tension and expectations and less built on like mental legitimately like jump out and scare you yeah, or it's more like you're, you're scared of the side of the hill 2 is still like one of my favorites at that because like it, it that's what it does it's not like out there to like out really scare you but there's like a certain like tension every time you're moving around in that game it's like oh no but that, and, that's and that's where sorry to interrupt josh but like i actually yeah. i had a reasonable thought for the first time <laughs> um, go for it. that's that's where i think my problem with uh, that's where my love of Seven comes from, in fact, that in Seven, you've got these big insurmountable enemies in, like, Jack and Marguerite and stuff like that, but, like, you as a player, you can take them down, and if you fail to, that's a that's player agency, that's your choice. You can run away and hide if you want to, but you can also take them down, which for me just makes them scarier, because they're not just, like, some, you know, they're not walking on a path and then they'll despawn, they're, like, an ever present threat it's the same with nemesis and the same with mr x that's that's what i love about those things and there's just nothing really like that in village because lady dimitre or tresk or whatever like she you can't take her down so you can only ever run from her that that isn't like as exciting to me but yeah that's my nerdy rant over that's why seven wins yeah, what, what do you actually well, well, well we can talk about it when you're done with the eight okay had you been playing anything else this week, or was it just uh, trying to wrap up Village? Yeah, or literally eight? just, like, the last six hours of Village, I've apparently stretched over, like, 20 minutes a night. Like, I just haven't been... Just haven't found something yet. I think it's the 
pre-E3 feeling. It's just like, oh, so much exciting going on and Ratchet's not here yet and Final Fantasy Ingrade isn't here yet. Just sit and wait. Yeah, early June is pretty damn packed. Uh, we also got Don't Forget About Edge of Eternity is releasing out of early access. <laughs> so now we can finally go over to uh, Josh. Sorry for dumping the gun on that. Oh, yeah, I've been playing uh, some recent releases from uh, subscription services. Um, PlayStation Plus had a pretty cool uh, batch this month of free games. I dived into a, a Virtual Fighter Five Ultimate Showdown. This is a re-release of uh, Virtual Fighter Five, which came out of what twenty? Ooh, I don't know, twenty thirteen, twenty twelve, or twenty eleven, somewhere around there. Um, this back on I'll the PlayStation three sixty. Um, this is uh, this is not exactly a one to one like port of it. Uh, Yuga Gotoku Studio helped out uh, the developers at AM2. I think some of the AM2 developers is actually at uh, the RGG studio now. Uh, so sorry, to, has... sorry to interrupt you, but I don't know if you were just way off, but uh, I'm reading 2007 for the PlayStation 3. Really? Is it that long? Virtual, oh Fight, Virtual Fighter 5. Okay, oh. According to Wikipedia, Holy in arcades shit. in 2006. <laughs> that long ago? Wow. Uh, it fades into time. dust. <laughs> shit, man. Really? Man, I'm old. So, uh, yeah, they... Well, uh, it depends on which version you're talking about. I guess, like, if you're talking about Final Showdown Yeah, I'm talking about Final B, Showdown. Well, I'm talking okay, about the so, one that came out on PS3. Like, there was a Virtual Fighter 5 Final Showdown on 360 PS3. Okay, so, okay, so maybe... Okay, regather the dust that you just collapsed into, because Final Showdown version on PlayStation 3 was 2012. Okay, all right. <laughs> I was like, no fucking way, dude. I'm uh, not. I don't play fighting games, so the fact that like I'm looking at the Wikipedia page here and it has like 20 different release dates because it's version A, version B, version okay. C, Final Showdown, Final Showdown version A, Final Showdown version right. B, I, and I, then I, where we've arrived this month at Ultimate Showdown. I thought I was going right. crazy. I was like, I'm sorry. Okay. I didn't mean. I didn't mean to like scare you. <laughs> well, fighting games are the only games that would sell a new patch update as a as a new game most of the time, right? Yeah. Well, I was, I was back in the old days. Now it's just patches paid patches so yeah they they recreated this game using the dragon engine from rgg studio which was used on yakuza kiwami 2 yakuza 6 judgment um so a lot of the characters they they're they sound like they're they're same general design but they look very different under this engine they kind of they're not gonna lie they kind of look like yakuza npcs that you would find like um around kamarocho now which is they, they still look a, a good portion of them still look really good, but it's like it's like you can really tell that it's the Dragon Engine um, with this game. But it it still uh, feels like good old Virtua Fighter. You know, it, it it's re it's really funny for this game because this game only uses three buttons technically too, because you have a punch button, a kick button, and a guard button. That's it. And then so the, obviously you have like combinations of buttons. There will be moves where you need. Um, P and G, which is like those are the throws, and how throws are in this game aren't like in most other fighting games because most in, uh, in most other fighting games it's like a forward throw, a backwards throw. This one's all out like okay, you some of them you have to like rotate the stick 360 degrees a certain way to get this throw, and then the certain throws will chain into other throws, or like there'll be situational throws where like when someone puts out a punch or a kick, there's a certain throw command to like uh, catch their incoming attack and whatnot. So it's a it's relatively one of the most technical fighters out there, despite only having two to three buttons. Um, so it's a very 
hard game to like master uh very difficult game to just learn like casually like to get to like wrap your head around what's going on but that there's a certain like flow to it that i i really enjoy because it's so delicate and intimate even though it looks uh simple on the surface it's that like everyone controls very differently because everyone like my main aoi she's like an aiki jujutsu character so she like she represents that fighting style or i think uh, akira had um what was his? What was his? Was it Akito? But um, and I think it's it's so cool that like the the way they kind of like replicate and represent these like real martial arts in the game. Uh, it's it's really it's really fascinating. Unfortunately, like the big downside with this um this release is you know most. Fighting games these days, especially in the year 2021, still in the midst of a pandemic where it's, you know, we're, we're kind of easing off of it little by little, but um, a lot of uh, fights go on uh, up online for these fighting games now. And um, one of the big recent developments uh, that has been going on in that space for a few years now is this rollback netcode uh, because it really eases up on the lag. It's not like your traditional delay based netcode from back in the day where you can really I feel like. like like lag spikes and whatnot. Go for I feel it. like I feel like you're not kind of giving the whole picture here. I mean, I'm gonna, go I'm back. gonna go into it. I'm gonna go back. I'm, I'm gonna go into like what's going on. I'm giving like I'm, well, I'm, setting the, I'm setting the stage here. Yeah. Well, all he's gonna say is is that it's less so that rollback is gaining popularity as like the Japanese developers are finally stopping to stopping themselves from being so stubborn to basically make their own solution that's not as good as rollback when all of the western fighting game developers have been using rollback for a decade well like the, like a, let's uh, let's give some context here right because there's more to the story than than meets the eye like it's easy to say that but when they were talking about uh giving interviews about this game they literally started development on this game february of 2020 last year and one of the, the the reason why it was so hard to push for a new Virtua Fighter um, in Sega is, you know, they didn't know it was going to meet up to market expectations and whatnot. And the only reason they gave the green light on this project is for uh, the, to celebrate Sega's anniversary. That was the big thing with the higher ups in there. So they had a very tight deadline. This this game basically got greenlit on like the whole crux of like, okay, we will give you this amount of time. It has to release within this month, basically, because that's the anniversary. Um, so you have to take into account that they were working on a very, very tight uh, deadline to kind of recreate this into Dragon Engine, making it all up to uh, have modern sensibilities, like a re recreated um, menu, uh, new like uh, in online infrastructure in terms of like how they present it and whatnot. So it's, it's, it's a lot and rollback, you know, as, if uh, an Arc System Works talks about their rollback implementation in the upcoming Guilty Gear Strive game, like they, uh, their basic thing is like, you just need to like give it a lot of time, and like you have to really work at it. It's not like a uh, a copy and paste thing or like, oh, it's just easy, put it in there. Like it, they 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 stress that like, it takes a lot of time to get it right. So you know we're we're kind of dealing with like the market realities and whatnot uh, for this game. So it is a shame that there is no rollback uh, in this game. It still uses delay-based netcode, and the way 
their their weird documentation of it. They gave a really fu- funny interview about this game uh, uh, when it came to its netcode before uh, shortly before it released, where they gave a quote in that saying, "Oh, the, we found a, a way to implement uh, the netcode so it uh, uh, quote unquote absorbs the delay of your opponents, your opponents." So um, it's like everyone's like. Okay, that's weird. That's a that's a that's a weird way to go about it. So, so that, can yeah. I say something? Um, go for it, Josh. Go for it. You're right that making your own version of netcode that's at, well rollback netcode that's actually good does take time. But the thing is, is that GTPO has public SDKs and it's on the MIT license. Oh, so, so here's the, here's the thing because you're, you're we're, we're talking about a, ja- a big cha- Japanese company and you have to really push that through the higher ups. And as we a lot of people know that, like, the a senior management, especially at Japanese game game developers, uh, game development companies, are very stubborn about like outside solutions, external solutions, right? Because unlike games like Skullgirls or Power Rangers, uh, them fighting herds that like are able to implement rollback like pretty easily at like their development cycles, they have less like barriers to like approve that. Uh, so. It's kind of it's one of those weird, unfortunate things. Like that's kind of the structure where where smaller companies will have an easier time to uh, go through that because they have less paperwork, less barriers uh, uh, to to break through in order to get that implemented. Meanwhile, you have a big, big, big corporation like Sega saying, "Okay, we're trying to make the case here. Well, it's going to take a lot of time." And then, and the only thing that the, the higher ups want is we want it on this anniversary, you know? And that, yeah. it, it's, it's just it's, very unfortunate to me yeah. because, I mean, especially if they started development in February of 2020, I feel like the number one thing, if you were going to remake that game for modern, like the modern, like fighting game player, like, like number one, roll back net code. You would hope, but, you know, that's, that's how it shook out, you know? And ho- hopefully, Hopefully, Virtua Fighter at the moment like does well enough, performs well enough. However, metric whatever metrics they're using to indicate failure success for this game uh, uh, to green light a new brand new Virtua Fighter, and hopefully that'll have rollback in it uh, from the get go. That's that's the hope at this point. Yeah, um, the their online netcode solution here is using um, what people have theorized and um, like. Have seen uh, of this so far is they're using a uh, Google servers uh, or relays like that have like distinct locations all across like uh, the United States. So uh, like there's two in Japan. There's like a whole map of it. Uh, the, the unfortunate part is that it seems like some parts of the globe uh, have very few uh, Google relay servers or have none and have to like connect to like way further ones. Like I think. Um, Latin America and South America have to go to the California one if they want to play online for this. So it, it'll there, there's there's definitely some regions of the world or some territories that will have a, a more and hasn't and hasn't Virtua Fighter historically been more popular in South America? I don't know. I don't I don't know how the Virtua Fighter scenes. I I know there's the the people who who, who stay true to it and uh, are very very good at it. That's uh the, like the, that's the one net positive about this game. In terms of like the existing virtual fighter community, the enduring for uh, uh, virtual fighter community, is that after all these years where they have to lug their PS3 360s around to like play Final Showdown, now they have this version where they can just like it's a way more convenient thing to set up, you know, like the the older release. So you know, at the very least, that community is 
well served. Um, the they do wanna this this still feels like a very even though this is weird because it's like a PS free PS Plus game, um, and then there's I think I think the full release is like twenty or thirty dollars if you don't have plus. Um, it's it's still incomplete in the sense that like there's basic online features like inviting a friend to like a private lobby or a private room that's not Im- implemented at all. You have to find like a passcode or set a passcode, or they have to find you through the list uh, to go like play with your friends. So. Hopefully that's in the works of like, hey, patch that in very soon. What are you doing? This should be like a, a core feature in the game already. Already, it's just uh, um, it's frustrating. Um, I, I played like roughly almost a hundred matches uh, ranked online. It's you know, it's uh, for my end since I live in Southern California. I live very close to like one of those Google servers for it. Uh, it's it's okay most of the time on my end. Like it could be it's also yeah. worth noting that Southern California is a very strong location for the FGC. So yeah, it wouldn't be a shock if many of the people that you've been matched up with are other SoCal natives. Absolutely, That's- yes. Uh, and the, you know, on my end, my experience is like it's been okay. Like there have definitely been like lag spikes and it could feel smoother and you know, obviously like when you go from a match online back into training mode it's like very noticeable it's like man it could have been like this instead um but it's still fun it's still you know i i sometimes i, I do well sometimes i get my ass kicked but it's still it, it's still good fun it's still good uh virtual fighter and for for the price of free you know i i figure why not but you know guilty gear strive is coming out very soon and you know that game has amazing netcode. Has a really great uh, implementation of rollback in that game, and you know, unfortunately, I'll probably have to like say goodbye to Virtual Fighter, and hopefully, they decide to make a new one with better netcode uh, down the line. But it's it's it, it was nice revisiting Virtual Fighter uh, briefly. Um, what else have I been playing? I played another PS Plus game. This is free for PS Five owners. It's called Operation Tango. It's an asymmetrical co-op game. So I played with a buddy. It's about five to six hours long. So it's not a a, 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 real, a long game, but it's a pretty cool game. Um, it's like a indie title. It's it, one person takes the role of an agent, and the other takes the role of a hacker. And both players see very, very different things. It's uh, divided up into stages, where like say you, since you're a group of like uh thieves uh you, you may be uh infiltrating a facility to go recover someone's smartphone and whatnot but the way to get like breach that uh uh like facility is kind of all blocked off with different things activities you have to do so like for example if you want to enter the building or enter like the facilities you have to uh be identified uh, uh first like through the security and then you're like okay i need to like uh take the the role of like a janitor and then so you pull up this like list of like janitors and their shifts to a nearby screen and then you're communicating as the agent that was the agent for this playthrough i I'm communicating to my partner um okay this is the list of janitors this is their um shifts and um like there'll be an in-game time of like, hey, it's Wednesday, 5.15 a.m., and I have to go find the janitor that would work in those hours so I would be able to get through security. So I'm communicating, okay, 
uh, give me uh, this person's ID, and then the hacker does what he, whatever he does or they do, and then you're like, okay, you you have the hacker, um, you have you're now this janitor, you're identified as this janitor now. I'm like, okay, uh, and before I can even step into the security, there's a security camera that'll identify that I have like an illegal hacking tool device on me. So I have to go communicate to my partner, hey, can you get um, control of that camera? And then you have to disable that function that like uh, that the text that I have this illegal hacking tool is like, okay, you're good to go. I'm like, all right. So I, I, I stroll on through and then there'll be a lot of like other different activities that you have to do before you can like, I, I reach there. So for example, in the same level, uh, there are these like cleaning drones and uh, he has to take control of a cleaning drone and we have to like maneuver through like this laser room that I'm, I'm blocking lasers up above and he's maneuvering beneath that um, obstacle that I'm controlling uh, through these like narrow narrow platform ways and making sure that he doesn't like uh, step on a laser and maneuvering him towards this uh, certain part of the platform where he has to uh, make that robot fall off onto a button and then that button will trigger um, uh, something. So I have a question. Uh -huh. Based on what you're describing, is yeah. this the sort of game that would be compromised if you had the ability to see each other's screen? Like, Absolutely. is the entire in the entire intent of the game is that you have to communicate verbally yes. what you need, what you see versus yeah. the other player? Yeah. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, this is the 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 audio only between you guys. That's the, the way it's most effective. It's uh, extremely fun. We were by, by the end of our playthrough, we were like, "Wow, we're really surprised that like this is like some of the best fun we've had like all, all this year, like through all the games we played." It's a it's a really cool experience. It's twenty dollars on Steam. Um, I would highly recommend if you if you you and a friend or a partner have a a PS Five that both have PS Plus, definitely go get, check this game out. I don't want to give away too much of like what you do in this game of like the the different. Like other activities, like one of the very first ones to get out to to kind of give you an idea of what this game is. One of the very first mini games you have, like in the, like in the first mission, is like a very simple get this circle in the hole up uh, up to the right corner. Uh, by the way, the agent controls the left and right movement of this circle, and your partner uh, controls the the vertical movement up and down of this circle. So you kind of have to like finagle your way towards that hole, and then they'll mix it up by like having like moving lasers or barriers to get to that hole. It's like, okay, we need to really like think this through of like, are, are we going to wait for that laser to go through? Or are we going right now type of deal? So it's a lot of like frantic communication, but there's enough that, uh, that the info that the game provides you that like, it'll make sense to the other person. So like maybe don't be this, this control panel. And then like, I have no idea what to do, but I'm just going to read out to you what I'm seeing and whatever you're saying, it may not make sense to you, but it makes sense to the other person. So they'll communicate back like, okay, I have that on my end. Here's what I see. And then that'll make sense to you, even though they don't know what, the, what they're actually reading and whatnot. It's like, it's so cool. It's uh, the way they, they've done it. It's kind of it, it's kind of like um, uh, keep talking and nobody explodes, if you know that game. It's kind of when you're trying to defuse a bomb almost. It's a little oh, bit I've like that, that yeah. game, but, but, it's, uh, but it's more well-structured. And uh, it's not it, it, there's like a, like an actual like storyline as well. Um, I do think that like the streaming paradigm, like this isn't. In, I'm not saying streaming is the only thing, but like with the amount of technology we have now to be able to play online more conveniently or more easily or do the voice chat across platforms or whatever, that it really has been kind of a boon to asymmetric multiplayer games. I mean, they have been around a while. Like uh, even you could say like uh, 
combat like they that evolve combat game whatever that, what is that called where yeah, one of them where one person plays as the monster right and then you've and then you and then you've got like aliens versus predator and even like classic tabletop games like mafia or paranoia or werewolf uh you've got like dead by daylight and uh a few other similar games in that vein uh secret neighbor i think we talked about this on a previous podcast but it's just cool to see people like iterate and put put that style of game under different contexts, under different like themes, under different like implementations, where uh, it's just kind of, I, I think we're in a really good spot for those sorts of experiences where it's not just Battle Royale. It's not just, n- nothing against Battle Royale games, but I just think that those can be like inherently interesting or even like um, Among Us, really, like any, any sort of those social deduction games. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so I want to play more of those types of games, is what I'm getting at. <laughs> You and Adam should go play this game. Oh, well, Adam has to get a PS5 first. Or oh, play. yeah. Well, does he need a PS5 anymore? He doesn't. He has, he has a, he has a 6,000 whatever speed SSD in his PC. Yeah, now. Get, get, what, what, does he get, what does he get out of a PS5? He can, he can max the settings down with a 3090 <laughs> on uh, Operation Tango. Um, really there fun. you go. Um, the last game I've been kind of checking it out is the new game from Izanagi Games. So this is the the new studio f- uh, founded by uh, Kodaka and Uchikoshi, the, the Danganronpa and Zero Escape, like creative leads or the uh, Somnium files, right? Yeah, uh, they released like the full version of this game, Worlds End Club. This was in an early access form on Apple Arcade, I think last year, and then the full, and then it recently just got got upgraded to the full version, the rest of the game, and that and that also released on Switch uh recently as well this is a, a kind of a weird game that i'm still going through i'm still i feel like i'm still early in but the it's also a difficult game to talk about because i don't want to spoil it for people but i'll give you the the very basic um setup of this game at first like uh, like kind of the opening part of it um the opening part of it is like there are these uh school students on a bus uh, presumably on a field trip they're kind of all just doing their thing, and all of a sudden, off in the distance, something from the sky just like it's like kind of like a meteor almost kind of explodes, and everything is thrown into disarray, like all over the country. It seems like and this is like in Japan. And when they when they wake up, they're they they wake up at this underwater facility, almost like Bioshock. They get out of these pods, and um. They they learn that they're part of this game of fate, and there's like this NPC, kind of like not a not a Monokuma, but very uh, similar to it in um, utility. Says all of you are wearing this uh, bracelet, and uh, this bracelet has a task, and but this isn't your task. This is someone else's task. So like, for example, your your main character, his name is Rachel, is a silent protagonist. And your your the, his bracelet has uh, the character Vanilla uh, has to eat a marshmallow. That's her task. Uh, but the 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 whole conceit is like, what you all want to escape, but only one person can escape, and that and that is met by that person completing their task. And then once they complete their task, they'll receive this magical key, and then they get to go out. You know. And everyone's like, okay. And everyone becomes very distrustful of each other very immediately. Like they did, they, they, like they're all trying to cover their bracelets from one another and be like, 
uh, I don't want you to see it because I don't want you to win the game. I want to win this game. You know, I'm I'm here trying to fight for my life. And the peep and the people who fail to complete their task are in, like kind of picked up from this machine and uh, thrown into like this uh, like this um, machine where they kind of get digested into goo. So they effectively like die. Yeah, supposedly, you know. What is an example task? Like, what what is a task? So a task could be like, like I said, like vanilla, eat a marshmallow. Like another person's task is like, oh, go ride this Ferris wheel with this specific person. Or another task <clears> could be um, like, well, one person's task is, hey, make sure everyone's eliminated except you. <laughs> you know? It's kind what, of, that, hmm. Why has one person got the marshmallow one? Like, it, are they allergic <laughs> to marshmallow? Is that the twist? Like, is it like sore or something? But I don't get it. <laughs> So I mean they're just they, they can be completely random tasks, but that but that person doesn't know that's their task, yeah, you know. So they have to they have to find out not only what their task is, but who which person has their task and whatnot. Mm. And and this could lead into like a domino effect where like say that task of like writing the this Ferris wheel with someone. Well, if that certain someone gets eliminated, then by default you get eliminated because you can no longer do that task because that person got eliminated. I like that. That's yeah. So at the very beginning of this game, it's like you and the time limit for this whole thing is one hour as well. So at the very beginning of the game, you have like this timer go, ticking down and you're kind of maneuvering around trying to find out how to get out of here and making sure that like, you know, you're not the one that's eliminated and whatnot. And that's all I can really say about it. Like you do very basic tasks. It's like a, like a, two, like a 2D side scroll, uh, side scroll perspective um the it has like a very cartoony aesthetic to it uh that looks pretty slick like i like the a lot of the uh, character designs but the actual in-game graphics are kind of very heavily heavily uh uh aliased it's very jaggy um the performance isn't i play this on apple tv not the switch so i don't know how the switch performance is but um there are times where i'm like going through the level and then like it'll like freeze for like a good like second as uh, presumably like it's like loading up the next thing or whatever but it, it, it kind of that doesn't happen too frequently but it's enough to kind of irk me but it's it's very simple like mechanics wise you have your jump uh to get over obstacles you can like uh like move these platforms if you need to get over something the game the the, the game like you know obviously from the from the people behind danganronpa and zero escape there's more to this game than what like initially meets the eye, but as and I'm kind of curious where it goes at where I am in the in the game right now, but there there's definitely a point where I'm like, oh, I didn't realize it was like this kind of game almost, so I I don't want to ruin that moment for people of like who might be interested in this, but I I don't know I I don't know where it'll go I I'll probably spend some more time with it and see if I enjoy it or not. It's it's kind of, I don't know I'm kind of split on it right now. It, it, it's it's very weird and bizarre, but I'm not. I don't know if I'm all there yet for it. But we'll see. So it has, obviously, that's a pretty cool premise. I'll say like the like the rules of like that game, that game of fate. Like it it is kind of I I do like the way they they kind of mix up the kind of death game rules almost. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of like a they they it, they've changed up enough from what I've heard like nine 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 and VLR described as. I've never played those games, but I know like I, I am peers with a ton of people who are like really into those. And they're some of their favorite games of all time, uh, even like 
Colin talking about Somnium Files last year, the year before. They seem like they're very hard games to sell because a lot of their premise is like going in blind or near blind. So it's always kind of I, I feel for you. It seems like kind of like a tricky game to kind of like put on a platform because you don't want to you don't want to compromise it for other people who have yet to get into it yet. Yeah. So I think uh, this new full release also added a full English dub to that game. And the English dub sounds pretty good. Uh, like yeah, they did a good job with the selecting voices. For that well, I don't know specifically about the dub, but I know Adam was talking about how the localization effort behind that game is like the same effort, uh, same people that were behind like Suikoden and like uh, Valkyrie Profile and a few other like classic RPGs that were like kind of they kind of like set the bar high several decades ago. And you could say like maybe other efforts have like come to match that since, but it's what's the name of that uh, studio, Adam, or that person? Jeremy Blaustein. Yeah, so, uh, and this is his first work that he's done in a while. As, as far as I know. Um, so, like, the Valkyrie profile localization, I think, is pretty good, you know, especially considering it came out in, like, the late 90s. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I was in, getting at, like, two decades ago, that was, you know, it was a high bar back then, and it's like, still and a like decent the, bar now. The, while we're on this tangent, like, the Suikoden 2 localization does have, honestly, its fair share of problems, but it's admirable considering back then they just didn't have the same tools in place to like localize games with scripts like that yeah. um and so like there was just a lot of it was a higher hurdle to clear back then so so i, I just found it interesting they're like oh that's a name i hadn't heard in a while uh, he also did shadow hearts by the way but yeah it's cool that he was able to uh kind of get, get back to it with world's ends world ends club world's end club Making sure I put my S in the right place. Yeah, that's that's all I've been checking out. Uh, there, there's no there's thank a lot you, Josh, of, for actually yeah. playing other games this week. I know uh, you're I, carrying I, us on your back. That's, that's, <laughs> there, there's a there's a shitload of new releases coming up this week, so let's see where we where we land. <laughs> I promise next week I will have a game to talk about that isn't Final Fantasy XI because it'll probably end up being a uh, new Genesis. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I did also just install a couple. Two months ago, I did play through the Geofront fan translation of Trails from Zero. Uh, in late May, they did release their uh, edition of um, Trails to Azure, and I did get that all set up. I haven't started it yet, uh, but I am planning to get to that and trying to squeeze it in before I, I just end up underwater with new June releases. So maybe maybe that won't happen. We'll see. All right. So with that said, we will go into the um, news of the week. There isn't actually a ton. Like I said, it feels like we're kind of at the calm before the storm, before the deluge of stuff's next week. But there are a few interesting things that uh, were published out and a few interesting things that were leaked out. So uh, we'll go through those. The first bit of news is actually a feature on the site that I want to highlight. Uh, Colin Black, who I did mention just previously, did put up a preview hands-on video for the upcoming Neo The World Ends With You. So we put this up on our YouTube channel as well as a written post on the site. He was able to go hands-on for about two hours with the new release that's coming out in July. Uh, it actually has, it's a really well-made video. Cullen does this for a living on his own YouTube channel. So he was able to do something for our, for us at RPG site. So do give that a look. It's the Neo, The World Ends With You hands-on video preview up on either our site or on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash 
RPG site net. So yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, it it looks very promising. I'm glad that's running at 60 FPS, at least for the PS4 version. And now we'll go into the main news. Uh, probably the biggest headliner of the week is for a game that does not have a localization announcement yet, but I know a lot of people are hoping for. Uh, we got a new teaser trailer for the upcoming Legend of Heroes Kuro no Kiseki. We did talk about this last week with the announcement of the release date in Japan of September 30th, but we did get a, a short new trailer this week. It's kind of interesting that I'm putting this first because it really is just a like a one minute trailer. But for anyone who's been following the series, this trailer kind of shows a lot. Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm very happy that it, that we were greeted by like butt rock at the at the offset of this trailer. Uh, uh, yeah, I kind of dug it. <laughs> as a, as it's a nice team butt rock though, so it's good. Yeah, but yeah, oh, yeah. so uh, it's kind of weird because it's like I I don't want it's this is this is promotional material from the studio, so it's not really spoilers, right? But they do show returning characters, characters that you'd probably well, a couple of characters that you'd expect for this series moving on to uh, Calvard. Uh, and then a few that I think are a surprise. If you watch the, tra- I mean, the, the, the people have already screen capped the hell out of this. It's not really a, a, a spoiler, but like we show a, an adult fee returning from the Cold Steel games. Uh, Zin, who is basically the Calvard proxy in the original Trails in the Sky trilogy, makes an appearance, and that's kind of expected. Um, a character, an antagonist from second chapter, makes an appearance at the very end of the trailer. And, and of course, there are basic some characters from Hajimari. <laughs> yeah, dude. yeah. So Hajimari is the game that is kind of like, as far as I understand, having not played it, the the buffer title between the Cold Steel games and this new like arc in Calvard. Uh, and then this also kind of begs the question: where uh, with if you kind of assume that going forward, the English releases of the the Geofront fan translations is how you're going if you're playing this through in english that's gonna gonna be how you're half gonna have to experience the crossbell games we were, we're all the way through cold seal 4 at this point is it possible we hear about a hajimari localization within the news that we've been teasing over the next couple of weeks do you think that's likely i don't know um nis america hasn't stated any plans um i know sometimes they they participate in like new game plus expo I know, like companies like Xseed have been teased to be present at like the Future Game Show, which is like the Games Radar place. But um, Xseed hasn't done a localization since Cold Steel Two. But I'm not sure if NAS America has been listed as a publisher in any of the presentations. I mean, I'm sure they'll have an announcement, but I don't know in what form it'll arise. Has I don't know. Has anyone has anyone seen them been listed as a presenter in some format? I don't know. I haven't seen anything. Um... There's some people in the community that seem to be considering the idea that maybe Clouded Leopard will end up trying to do Falcom localizations, which wouldn't shock me considering the series has already jumped ship before, and it seems like Falcom has a pretty close relationship with Clouded Leopard now, so who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I, can, I can see that. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's such a weird... Uh, the, the lineage of the trail series in the west like it going to if it went to like another localizer again i don't know man i and it feels like i don't know we don't see what has clouded leopard done any english localizations i don't think so what they did before like did they do like ports was it 
Well, they, they did do like the Chinese, Chinese releases, and they even they, they even have their own like PC versions of like Trails of Cold Steel one and two, which is I I find kind of weird. Like it's literally like a separate listing. Yeah, but I guess like, that's how lights li- licenses and re- and regions work. Sometimes. Like on Steam, you have to like make sure that you the if you're getting like the the English Trails release, make sure it's the English Trails release, not the clouded leopard version. Wait a second. Um, so. Who did the Earth Defense Force World Brothers uh, localization? I thought D three Publisher just does, does it on their own. I don't actually follow it that that uh, closely. Because I just went on Clouded uh, Leopard's website. First off, the website is in English, so there's that. Um, second, they are listing games that they're selling that have like English in them. So I'm not sure if that's just for the Chinese market because. Uh, Hong Kong has a lot of English speakers there, so maybe that's part of it. I don't know, but who knows? So, what, what would would you guys th- th- do? You guys think the, that's likely for them to jump ship from this America to Clouded Leopard, though? They were done it once before. I will do it again. I will say that Falcom are definitely, if one thing, they are. Cheap isn't even necessarily the best word, but if they can say if they can save a buck or make things easier for themselves, they will go for it. So if Clouded Leopard went to them and said, "Hey, we're already doing all of these like ports for your previous games," what I could see happening could maybe be something similar to what happened with Exceed and Falcom, where they had right of first refusal, but then they refused to do Tokyo Xanadu. And after that, that gave um, Falcom a reason to go with NIS America, which had who had been trying to get Falcom's properties for years before then. Like Kondo has said, that he wants um, Crossbell to be localized. And while I'm sure many fans don't really care that much about an official localization at this point, considering the Geofront translations being as well-received as they are, I wouldn't be shocked if Cloud Leopard was like, okay, we'll localize our like ports of uh, Zero and Al, and if you let us also do the localization for uh, Kudo or and Hajimari or something like that, I it wouldn't shock me. I don't know. I have a question about this trailer. Um, yeah. So at the end of Hajimari, I know there was this tease. For the new engine that Falcon was making, is Kuronokaseki entirely in yes. that engine? Yes. yes. Yeah, because and I'm my main takeaway when I saw this trailer was that the character models look really good. The artwork is especially good. It's Katsumi Anami who did like the Star Ocean remaster, the um the Crossbell series. Uh, didn't E7. he also do some Fire Emblem project? Oh, E7. Um, the the uh, I thought I thought he did it on Heroes or something. Maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe. Uh, yeah. But uh. The the it, they show off a lot of the action battle system. They show like like all it shows all eight of the announced main party members along with the cameos that we mentioned. Um, I will say though that the environments are still a little bland and empty, but maybe that's like they weren't focusing on that. So like maybe that's fine. Yeah, I, I did I didn't I notice just, it. it was... uh, just to, just to, as a foundation as a concept, I think this game would always be technically scuffed because it's entirely on a new engine. So it's kind of like their their first go at it. So I imagine future installments will be more refined and they'll have like a better handle of like the, the engine that they made, you know. So this I, I I fully expect this game to be like have some weird technical quirks because it is a 
not only did they build a brand new engine, but they built like a game for that engine. Uh, but there's like there's a couple scenes in the trailer where it shows like the characters running through that main city, which I forget what it's called. It was detailed in one of the earlier uh, marketing pushes. Uh, but it actually it seems like I don't know. It's like welcome to the uh, to last gen Falcom. I feel I feel cynical saying it, but it does look nice compared to like how empty some of the streets are. Where so into the, uh, really, yeah. this game is really funny also because it's not only just Hajimari that like you need to get through there's a, after hajimari there's a, a a story dlc that was like a like a visual novel almost uh that released for hajimari like I, I forgot how many weeks or months later and that's relevant too like you absolutely need that knowledge now going into kuro like for for some of the things that like they showed off in there in that trailer so much i'm starting anew that's yeah well yeah, it, it seems like basically this is a continuation of a linear story. You're pro- if you want to go in and understand things as intended, you're going to need to play through the older games. That's just kind of how it is. Should it be that way? That depends. Uh, but yeah, like I, I feel like sometimes, like with the Trails game, it's like yeah, it's like it's better to have that knowledge. But I feel like people made it like mandatory sometimes, which is the fan base wants you to do. But I feel like well, I, I wouldn't say it's absolutely mandatory. But there are there are definitely going to be things that, like as you play through it, it's like, oh, who is this person? Why are they doing the things they do? I barely I, I barely even got to know this person in this game. That's that's weird. And then so well, it's kinda... the worst part is like in Cold Steel Three and Four, it's like there'll be like these little flashbacks. Like this is that reference we're mentioning about. It's like it's like they got to rub it in your face all the time. And well, the weird I... thing about Cold Steel Three and Four is that. One and two are divorced enough that I think you could say you can start with Cold Steel one and two, but then by the time you get to three, you got to like backtrack. Now, if you've gotten this far, now you have to uh, now you have to go back. Like I take back what I said. It's like so, yeah, I, I really didn't like the the that in like three and four because it's like it's like well these are these references. Like well, if the fans been playing this series for this long time, they would know these reference and. They shouldn't be jumping in the third and the fourth game of like the ending arc. It's like you wouldn't go into movie fit theaters watching Avengers right, Endgame exactly. as your first movie from the Marvel franchise, right? Nice, nice America and Kondo himself told me Trails of Cold Steel Three is the perfect starting point. Oh yeah, that, yep. You can totally sell your game there. somehow, man. Be, oh. Being less cynical, it's not, it's one of those things where it's like if you want. Well, I guess this is me. This is me using a little bit of speculation. Like you can you can start here as long as you have the understanding going in that you're going to have to like inference things that you are expected to be knowledgeable of, but you just simply won't be like, yeah. if you're flexible enough and willing to be in the dark on things like that, like you can make, you can make yourself. Like, I think I mentioned in a previous podcast that I played Xenosaga two before one and I still enjoyed it. But then of course my first instinct after that was like, all right, time to go, play, time to go back and play the first one. And that's the reason I'm playing um, zero and a year now because i want to have that knowledge before i go into cold steel 4 before i go into hopefully a hajimari localization because i just feel like if i want to get the intended experience i i have the desire to do this like because i know it'll i know it will improve my enjoyment so well i don't know i expect that it will you get yeah this trailer it's only yeah i mean like it it looks it looks cool right like uh, that at least you you can definitely say from that trailer it's like oh that looks like a really big step up from the the Mm -hmm, yeah Cold Steel 3 and 4, like with the technology that they were using there. Like it looks way fluid. The movement looks awesome. The, the, I'm really excited to like you know, meet these characters and see what they're all about. Like it, it, in some ways, yes, it is definitely a breath of fresh air after the, the Cold Steel saga for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
when was the first Cold Steel one came out? 2012, was it? 12 or 13, yeah, I want to say. We've been stuck in the same series for seven years, and it's like, Wait, yeah. 2012 is more than seven years ago. Yeah, well, I guess, for, for, yeah, talking about Cold Steel 4 was original state, you're right. Yeah, 2019 is when, when it Yeah, it's, Japan, yeah, 2000, so. two, yeah, 2013 for 3 and Vita in Japan for Cold Steel. So yeah, you're right. So we're stuck in the series for this many years. It's like, yeah, I, I feel like I'm playing the same damn game every time when they release it. So I'm like, I want something new and maybe let's just marathon it. it again, child. Let's just like, we need to rush our memories. Let's have a 500 hour marathon relay. Relay, We'll be all right. All I need to tell you the script will be haha at the end. I can, I can vouch <laughs> for that. That, that. That'll just be the stream name when we do this 500 hour marathon relay. It's just going to be called haha and that's it. <laughs> there you go. In the last week, we got a mysterious new teaser site for a school-themed RPG called Monarch. Adam, tell me about this mysterious new game. Well, we don't really know a lot about it other than the, some of the key staff behind it and that it is school-themed, which honestly, like the school-themed part of it is like, oh... Invented you know. by uh, Persona? <laughs> Invented, for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, finally, a JRPG set in a school? Okay. Um, <laughs> I hope it's in Shibuya, uh, so that'd be cool. Unexplored. Um, but, uh, so, so, yeah, the, this game is uh, stabbed by former members of Shin Megami Tensei staff, and I mean, like, the old Shin Megami Tensei staff. Uh, old so, Tensei. <laughs> yeah, not the, Shin part. not the Shin part, which, you know, it's kind of funny that that's even still there. But uh, So, I'll, let me just go down the list. Uh, Kazunari Suzuki, who was the writer of Digital Devil Story Megami Tensei and Shin, the first Shin Megami Tensei. Uh, Ryotaro Ito, who was the writer of Megami Tensei 2. Uh, Sukasa Masuko, who is the composer of games from the original Megami Tensei 2 Devil Summoner Soul Hackers. As I gather, uh, they were the person basically before Meguro and Ito and uh, yeah. I'm not sure the current composer is, to be honest. Um, is Maguro doing SMT5? Forget. I don't know. I mm, I don't know if Maguro's doing SMT5. <laughs> I don't know who did four. I can't think. I don't. Anyway. Um, and then Aya Nishitani, who was a novelist who wrote uh, Digital Devil Story Megami Tensei to, up to Shin Megami Tensei Devil Summoner. So it's like people from like the Super Famicom to the original PlayStation days uh, for the series. Ryota was doing the uh, it did four and four apocalypse, so oh, that's cool. right. On yeah, five, but um, yeah. that makes sense. So yeah, we don't really know much more than that. Um, well, the, the, the thing about the names that you listed off is like if you go to the teaser website, those names are like front and center. Like that's part of their marketing push is like literally kind of leveraging their. Well, here's the funny thing. Um, so this game, I believe, it hasn't been officially announced, but. I believe there's something in like the teaser site code that that implies that it's a a title being published by Furyu, and uh, Furyu is a Japanese publisher developer that they've done this before, where they attach like names to projects, like kind of like trying to like uh, sell the name as a marketing, like almost like like back in the glory days, this was a person who was important, sort of thing. Um, they did that for Ashi uh, Satomi. Right. Sorry. Oh, for like for Caligula. Yeah, for Caligula. Yeah, they had the Persona Two writer on there. 
Um, and then also for the Alliance Alive, they had, uh, oh, what's his name? The Suikoden writer, uh, Maritama. Oh, that's I, mean, I, I, can't, I can't remember his name. I feel bad. Um, but uh, Murayama. <laughs> funny thing about Murayama, that's it. Um, and I feel like I played the original version of Caligula and the Alliance Alive, and I kind of feel like neither of those attached names were kind of worth it in the end. Like the storyline of the Alliance Alive was honestly kind of junk to me. So the fact that it was written by the Suikoden guy like didn't amount to much. Uh, Caligula, I played the original version. I thought it kind of sucked. Apparently, the new version is better. I'm not sure. The, uh, I, I, the I, wanted, version. Uh, I, I am at the first save point of that game still. I, yeah. I, I booted up a few weeks ago, and then I, I intend to get back to it, but there's a lot of games right now. Yeah. So, so that sort of fits their MO, if it's like this is a Furyu game asking old Mikami Tensei people to make a game. But I'm also curious, is like, okay, this is a, a school-themed RPG. How is it going to be different from Persona or other games that are have like high school characters? You know, like <laughs> yeah, who knows? I mean, the the, the official reveal is going to be within this week on uh, like June 10th in Japan. I'll probably be at Famitsu. Magic. Yeah, the countdown says it's four days away as of the time of this recording. Yeah, because so. they, they initially like revealed this through Famitsu before other outlets and whatnot and i don't know we'll, we'll see i hopefully hopefully it's something cool you know i that i can only hope for the best if anything else at least we'll get new music from moscow speaking well, of megami or do we have any final comments on this i was going to move on to the yeah, related topic I'll, I'll just um like you know re reiterating the, the title is monarch oh yeah game. monarch yeah and no no other announcements at all other than basically what appeared on the teaser website a twitter account that was made for the game and then kind of what people have been able to sleuth about the, the publisher behind it a oh, phone number and then you can have spooky things come out of that your phone <laughs> i guess one thing i'm curious about is like art style yeah, you can't really glean much from the tweet, yeah. from the yeah the teaser is we know mostly the, good, we know like, like, we know like the composer, the writer, and and uh, you know three different yeah, writers really. Yeah, so, like, Kite, who, who, what's the art going to be like? So, Kite was ever well, was able to like at least like get, get like the Japanese voice cast list that they like, kind of blocked out for the most part as well. But then, but they really blocked out like 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 who's the director of this game? Who's the artist for this game? Like we have no idea for like the big big staff members. So who knows? I, I I wish it was like they would they would reveal it's like Kazuma Kaneko, but it's no way. Yeah, Kaneko is back. Yeah, can that. you imagine? God, man. Oh man, I would like, order. Right. I didn't import. <laughs> you didn't import and then like just look for stare a, a translated it. text dump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just look at the art. Stare at it. Hell <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. But speaking of uh, Megami Tensei or Shin Megami Tensei or specifically uh, Shin Megami Tensei Five. Did you know the last time we talked about this game on the podcast was last July? What? No. Well, according, according to the tags on our posts on our website, episode 164 was the last time. Any news on the game since then? I was like 30. And there, yes. Uh, and there wasn't supposed to be any news yet, but we might have gotten a leaked release date and story details for the upcoming Shin Megami Tensei 5 which was always slated to release this year and just to give Probably proper credit year, right? this was yeah this was sleuthed by Persona Central so 
go ahead and give their they're the ones that uncovered this so go ahead and uh give them a, a read to give them credit for this but it appears based on the details leaked that shin megami tensei 5 is set to release on november 11th which it's kind of weird because we always kind of expected 2021, but thought maybe, you know, due to complications with COVID and everything else, and might, like it wouldn't have been a surprise to see the slip. 11, what, 2021, 2022, 2021, yeah, sorry, this year. So still slated for this year, supposedly. Uh, but yeah, this is the, yeah, again, this is not officially announced. Uh, Adam, do you know the details exactly? Like this was, this was initially like mistakenly published on the website, pulled down, but then they were able to like grab the archive of it. How exactly did they find this information? It seems like the website just updated and I'm assuming someone at Persona Central probably just had like a page monitor on the website and they took screenshots. So it seems to be legit. And like the screenshots show like a slightly broken website with like, you know, non-loading images, which honestly is actually kind of expected because when, when a website updates, sometimes like the image, like immediately right when it updates, sometimes like some of those image assets and formatting aren't perfect yet. But it seems like they saw the update, they saw the, they saw the text, they, you know, copied it, screenshotted it. And then it was shortly after removed, but you know, once it's up there, it's basically history. Um, so right. that's that's what I'm guessing is what happened is that somebody just tagged the website for updates, saw that it was updated, and uh, there you go. Well, I guess and, very strong possibility we'll see it in a couple of weeks, huh? Yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah, probably going to show up. I, th- in I the think next, in this, it's a it's a Nintendo Switch exclusive for everything that we know. Um, and mm-hmm. it's also been it's also been announced at its simultaneous worldwide release. So that November 11th date, unless something has changed, uh, if it is true, is going to be a worldwide date. Um, but uh, it's always been shown off in Nintendo directs before, so I think people are expecting it to be in like the Nintendo E3 showing. Is when it, it was like almost sense. guaranteed. Yeah. At this point, if this is true, I'm. Hey man, I'm saying November to, due to our uh, game of the year rules. Uh, that if you're released in December, nah. But if you're in November, co- come in. Yeah. You, you're welcome. Please stay a while. What uh, are the rules again? If it's just December, no go. November, Gucci. <laughs> Is that the rule? That, that, that was established. <laughs> that, yeah, that was established uh, the, the last year. So you know. There you uh, go. I'm I'm stupidly excited. You know, I really want to. I really, 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 really hope this um shows up at their E3 uh, digital E3 thing, and hopefully they have like a like a, an extended gameplay look at their Treehouse stream or whatever. Um. So so I rewatched the original reveal trailer for this, and it does kind of mesh with what you. So in the screen caps from the website, the Persona Central grabbed, they mentioned like uh the main character wanders into another world called Doth and fuses with a mysterious creature to become a, a Naubino. I don't know what that is, but you can see that fusion take place at the very end of that teaser trailer when they initially like revealed, well, not the initial reveal, but the initial trailer, the footage from that surprise Nintendo Direct. Um, it, it is where, funny just from like the, the leaked details and text alone, like the, this is like just from the premise, it's like, oh, there's like a sequel to Nocturne. Yeah, it's yeah. Very, it seems like similar to Nocturne. Like this fusion is sort of like a Demi Fiend, but not quite a Demi Fiend. Um, I know people joke like SMT5 is an isekai, but kind of SMT3, like you're transforming the world. SMT4, you're going from like this partition, partitioned off fake world to like the abandoned Tokyo. So it's like you're always transferring from like 
a known world to an unknown world. So that's not like yeah, it's super that's... new. Yeah, <laughs> but people make yeah. the joke that's like another world isekai. And also with like you, the you like the, long the... title. Also, like the the religious like terms they have, uh, you know, from the details, like people are kind of surmising, like maybe it's like not a demi feel like I'd like sort of like a demi angel or demi herald almost, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, there's all speculation, nothing's confirmed. But so it does mention that in addition mm-hmm. to familiar demons, because we do see that they kind of reuse designs across their various sub series, several new demons drawn by. Masayuki Doi will also appear. So basically, this will allow. It's kind of weird. We'll see a bunch of new demons that will then filter through all the Megami Tensei subseries for the next decade, probably. Well, that's so. that's that's, not, that's kind of expected. Every entry they add a few more, and Doi's mm-hmm. been doing the recent additions for you know he did them for four for Apocalypse. Um, I'm sure there's some new ones in uh like the Strange Journey remake. Uh, so. this, this does confirm also this like 100% confirm no more speculation that like Doi is the character designer yeah. again for this title yeah you know, so it'd be like that but you know it's sort of hard to believe I, that SMT4 is already like eight nine years ago it, it just it just stings a little because we got we got Nocturne this year again so yeah <laughs> but mm-hmm. I get it I get I'm it I'm with uh, you um, yeah, I'm looking, really looking forward to see what kind of new the designs we have for the demons. The, it says you'll face uh, you'll face over 200 demons in this game, which is a high, I think that's a higher roster than Nocturne had. So there'll be there'll be a lot. I don't know, well, yeah, I'm I'm just really excited just to see new footage. So I hope yeah, in some of the summer craziness that this makes an appearance somewhere. So if the Hopefully, website was planned to be updated, maybe that means it's likely. Yeah, I, I think I think like in terms of like a release dates, this is near like a, like I think a week before the Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Sapphire remakes. And um, I can't I can't believe you brought up Pokemon before and Walker Early Access. Oh yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Pokemon's bigger than FF14. I'm sorry. I only think about the popular things like SMT. Oh, <laughs> ouch. Tough medicine. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love my no, I know. friends. We did get an announcement of a surprise Steam port for Wizardry The Five Ordeals, which was originally released in 2006 in Japanese-only PC title from the Wizardry series. So uh, this is going to be like... This is weird because it's a re-release, but it's releasing on Steam in early access because it doesn't fully support English yet. But the game is planned to have English access, English support added to early access, which will then yeah. go into full release. So it's an early access re-release of a 2006 Japanese-only PC game. Wizard yeah, on paper, it's sort of weird because it's like a re-release, but it's early access, right? But um, so right. So I always find this sort of like novelty kind of interesting. But this game, what it is, is um. So after like the main Wizardry series released, you know, in the 80s and early 90s, uh, Japan has, you know, actually they have a, several old 90s <laughs> entries too in the series. So Wizardry is kind of weird in terms of like, there's like different subsets of Wizardry. There's like the main line, and then there's like the Gaiden series, which I think is all Japanese only. And then there's the uh, like the Renaissance series, which is also Japanese, sometimes referred to as JT Wizardry, and they're all a little different. This is one of the Gaiden entries. And the thing about it is it has, like, five different scenarios in the game. And it also, I guess, one popular thing about it back in the day was that it has a scenario editor where you can kind of create your own, like, dungeons and story. 
Um, and that's part of the reason why it's going into early access is that they are going to update the scenario ed editor a bit, uh, have new options and components for it, as well as adding English because the game never released in English before. So, so I think it's kind of cool. You know, these sorts of dungeon crawlers are an incredibly niche, you know, field uh, and Very fan base. Cool. Yeah, we're talking especially like thousands like of players. Like, yeah, especially yeah. Not like this. Like, oh my god, this is that. This yeah, like we're not. We're not. <laughs> but um. Uh, yeah, I think it's coming out this month in Japanese. Well, yeah, yeah. The the early access re-release will come out on Steam this month with some English UI elements, but it's like yeah. you know mileage may vary. You have to wait if you want to play it fully in English. But yeah, and yeah. also yeah, and then, of course they'll have all the custom conveniences of being released on Steam. It's like Game Pass support, Steam Cloud support. You can, and they are you're also adding like a support for having custom portraits as well. So I imagine. I imagine part of like the the built-in scenario also, uh, editor thing is like I wonder if like creators can um, also make people like ha like adopt their custom portraits for their scenario. Like this is like these are the characters for my story, yeah, and whatnot. So mm -hmm. it's it's very interesting, you know. Like uh, that's a, that's a lot of potential. Like it's basically just like a, I can I can now fully custom make like an old school dungeon crawler any way I want, you know. Well, it's always it's always cool to have kind of like catalog games like this be made widely available because it's i don't know i like going back and playing like like playing final fantasy 11 or playing like the original fallout games that i did last year uh it's uh, it's nice to be not to have to say like well that's unattain that's untenable because you can only play this on a certain console that released two decades ago and good luck finding a copy like oh no it's available on steam in english like that's it's always nice to have that made available to you it's also interesting because like the the, they even mentioned in the description uh, for this game on Steam is like they they say over the past fifteen years Japanese users have created more than one hundred and ten scenarios and they were the driving force behind like this release to Steam. You know, so that's really and cool. that, that reminds me of um, Neverwinter Nights two that released like decades ago, but it's like kept alive through like dozens and dozens and dozens of fan made like stories just made just made out of that game's engine and like editing software. So yeah. And then they also like when the when, on the Steam listing, they also have like a separate page on Steam where you can download like high resolution like like portraits and sprites and whatever for their for the enemies as well for if you're you want to support even like bigger resolutions and whatnot. And I know some people kind of are don't like the way it's implemented, but Steam Workshop usually is pretty pretty handy for doing like quick and dirty uh, modifications like that where you just like initiate whichever fan-made scenario you want and be and i don't know if this is specifically said that it'll have workshop support but it's the sort of thing where it allows it to kind of have a life beyond its initial release where you know you only need like a small dedicated group of fans that will just kind of keep things new and interesting on these sorts of games for way longer past their original intended like expiration date as much as games have any of those so this is. I, I really hope that the the existing wizardry fan base, the long starving wizardry fan base, really clings to this. This seems to be uh, a unique thing in the in this day day and age. Uh, and there's mm -hmm. not really there's not really any other promising wizardries like projects in, in the pipeline at the there's moment. There's a mobile game. Like I said, promising. We have wizardry five ordeals early access this month out of nowhere, but cool to have. The remaining bits of news uh, slated for today and this week are kind of 
piecemeal and small, but we'll kind of go through them just to give them their due, kind of clear the slate going into the big announcements of the week. We did get a new trailer for Scarlet Nexus. We've talked about this game a few times over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we talked about uh, having played through the demo as it released on the different consoles throughout May. Um, the new trailer is just like a kind of like a game one. It's a longer trailer, about nine minutes. It's an they call it explanation trailer, where it basically talks about uh, all the game systems everything, and everything. Yeah, yeah and and I like how underneath this trailer we've got Adam has this, uh, underneath the, the the news post for this trailer on our site. Adam has all the bullets from all the different like marketing rollouts from the last month of this game. There's been a lot. Uh, yeah, they are marketing the shit out of this game. Like, Dude, yeah, good. If, yeah. If this game, if this game doesn't do well, you cannot say they didn't market it because they are just putting <laughs> everything they can into this. Dude, like, oh. uh, I've, I've, I'm very blown away by the marketing of this game. Like, even like, and also like a week after the game comes out, the anime starts for it as well. <laughs> Do we know if the anime is like a sequel or like what it's going to cover? I have no idea. I think it's an adaptation of the game, but we don't. I don't Uh think we know anything other than that there is one. Yeah, it's like by Sunrise also. It's like what the fuck? Yeah, Sunrise is you know that's that's not a no name studio at all. So (laughs) that's the Gundam studio. What the hell? Mm -hmm. Obviously, it depends. Like we unfortunately we've seen like marketing end up being like wool over your eyes like i'm thinking of biomutant where it's like man this game looks really promising and then it kind of <sighs> stumbled at the finish line so hopefully well luckily unlike biomutant, we, have a demo. we have a demo here so yeah and, and that's, uh that's super interested i'm like okay i really want more after this demo that well was, then uh, george said the same thing. and then george able yeah, yeah, was yeah. able ahead of the demo to play the preview build and also thought i'm, guess, I'm guessing that what george played was the demo but early version <laughs> Right. So. I, so I don't know. Actually, I haven't checked out the demo yet. Just because I was uh, like, you said, you said uh, other like the like the the brain map skill tree. Like there, you you saw things open up, right? Like in your yeah, yeah. Point. So maybe okay. I was ahead. So yeah, maybe you were a little ahead. Or I got to play like three hours of it, and I imagine the demo is not that long. Oh yeah, yeah. That was definitely not that long. Oh, I yeah. did it on hard mode last night, and it was really fun. I'm I'm genuinely forward to that. Like that would be a good one. Yeah. So this is a uh, for anyone that needs a reminder. This is releasing on. June twenty fifth here in the West, so less than a month away. Always cool to see new IPs, new ideas be introduced. Uh, a couple other release dates coming out in June: um, New Genesis, which is the semi sequel to Fantasy Star Online two extended version, whatever you want to call it. Not Fantasy Star Online three. You're not, 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 you're not actually releasing like a new hardware, New Genesis. It's a game, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah but it, anyway, it's releasing. Are, uh, it's Fancy Star Online 3. They just didn't want to uh, scare off the whales that uh, buy uh, scratch tickets and two. You're not wrong, but it is releasing on June 9th. Uh, James and I talked about the closed beta last month and had a pretty good time. They did show like the roadmap. Uh, I forget exactly what. They've had a ton of update stream presentations. I don't remember exactly when this filtered through. But they did show an intended roadmap for the game. And I think pretty much anyone looking forward to this is going in with the expectation that it's going to release a little bit light. Like the, the max level for the closed beta test was 15 and a lot of people got there. And then apparently the max level on release will be 20. Apparently the full map on the game, like in the demo, like when you play the closed beta test, you could access like four regions and you could see like three or four more that were blocked off on the continent. And apparently that's like the full map at release. And I'm not sitting here saying like, how dare they have not a ton of content, but it just seems like people are going in with the expectation that it'll be a bit light. 
and that they're going to plan to add to it throughout the months, which is kind of what that roadmap was trying to like, I don't know, alleviate the fears that this is going to be like a drought or, or, or of some sort. Um, I, I, I was so, ready. He just got done with his new computer on time for this game. He's ready to mess yeah, it up. And a, a lot of people have mentioned that New Genesis really could use some like optimization or some DL- DLSS support or something because it requires pretty beastly computing to, to be able to run. It, and it's a sort of game that you really want to be able to hit 60 FPS because of the movement that they added and the speed of combat. Uh, I really did like the closed beta test. I'm looking forward to New Genesis. Uh, so did, any, did anyone try to run that closed beta at the absolute lowest minimum settings possible? No, I didn't. Damn, I kind of wish I did though. I wonder, yeah, I wonder what the game looks like <laughs> like that. It just looks like the base game. Cool. You always do kind of wonder like how scalable it is because it's almost more impressive to see that you can can turn to low settings and run on something that's uh, a little bit dated. But yeah, that, that, that's always uh, my, that's always the like the the things that that I look for the words the most like in terms of like when fighting games come to PC like people always do the like oh this is what it looks like at the absolute lowest minimum settings. yeah lowest settings rendering at 480p <laughs> or whatever. Mode, yeah. Like Dragon Ball Fighter was like a 3DS game. It's like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> I can't My... wait for people to uh, get Guilty Gear Strive on PC yep. and basically be like, here's what it would look like on the Nintendo Switch. Oh, weird. It's like Accent Core. Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. My expectation, and I hope I'm, I'm hope I'm proved wrong by this. I'm at, my expectation is that New Genesis will be a really fun game to play with an absolute garbage story. That is my expectation because Fantasy Star Online Two, in its like six chapters of story, only one of them is even like decent. The rest are pretty damn bad. Uh, so hopefully, I'm surprised and taken back. But by the way, they've kind of presented some of the characters in some of the presentations. I'm not hopeful. Story, that's not the reason I full range uh, finger movement. Yes, yeah, which is funny because Final Fantasy Eleven, the hit two thousand two um, MMO by Square Enix, also has individual uh, digits for characters. Yeah, that's that's just the mid aughts uh, Square Enix just flexing just as they do. But yeah, so uh, I will probably certainly talk about New Genesis next week because I will almost certainly be playing it. <laughs> All right, I'm moving on. Uh, another early June release, literally the uh, next day, Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrade. We did get an update to the PS4 version of the game, Final Fantasy VII Remake, that adds the ability to prepare for your save transfer functionality. And if anyone's done the various implementations of PS4 to PS5 save transfer, how it works is that you have to have a access to a PS4 version of the game, which can be on PS5 as well, load it up from the main menu, upload your save data, then go into the PS5 version of the game once it releases and download it again. And then as soon as you download it, the expectation is, is that all your trophies will transfer, et cetera, et cetera. It worked for me. I This worked very identically to how the Neo 2 Definitive Edition um, worked where you had to have both versions of the game installed on my ps5 at once in order to do the save transfer cumbersome but but doable we did we, there apparently news from, from that now though through, throughout the week someone someone had the, the the ps5 version of this game and they showed off the most important improvement yep so the version 1.02 of the ps4 version i checked does not fix the door the door to cloud's apartment <laughs> Which is the most important thing of the game, I but the PS5 it. version? No, no. I, 
specifically the PS4 version with the newest update is not fixed, but someone with early access to the PS5 version has shown that the door as a texture now. The game is fixed. 10 out of 10. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, holy shit. Right there. You guys really have your priorities. All right. <laughs> Let's go. It's time to finally buy a $2,000 Scout PS5. <laughs> and then... so, that you, so that you can enjoy this very basic door texture that you see Final in one, cha- one chapter. Yes. I don't Final know Final who's writing the review cool for the PS5 version of this game, but uh, I hope that this is the headlining aspect of the, the review. Yes, the oh, door yeah. is fixed. Yeah, that's just a blurb on it on the review. It's like doors fixed, and that's it. That's the that's no, okay. just make just just make that the the comment below each image. Uh, this doesn't look <laughs> as good as the door. Every image just should like be like very angles of the door, <laughs> levels, various camera angles. Put that photo mode to work. What are, what are on, the, on the embargo, I have no idea who's reviewing this game or or what sort of review it's going to be, but. On the embargo release for, for Integrade, I want it just to be a review of the door, and then we like put up the re- real review yeah. like two hours later <laughs> or something like that. Just, um, a, just a fanbite style review of the Final Fantasy VII remake Integrade door. The more On I think PS3. about it, the more I'm like, that's a dumb, dumb. Not even we've already killed the joke. But have we? Well, maybe, maybe. But I, I, I want to see. I feel it now. like I feel like if somebody unironically pitched it to Alex, he would go for it. <laughs> All right, whoever whoever gets the uh, this copy of the game for us, you you know what you're up up against. <laughs> but anyways, I went I went through and I uh I loaded up my PS4 version of the game, uploaded my save data, even though I probably won't like replay the game. I, I'm getting integrate as I assume several people are, just to play the Yuffie chapter. So. I Hopefully would get it's... it if I could find a PS5. <laughs> just build, use, like, you, you, use your computer, yeah, yeah, but I can't get a PS5. <laughs> yeah, you set up set up your like Walmart page monitor or whatever it was. <laughs> All right. Well, well, here's something, Adam. You have a powerful PC now. Just make a bot to buy a piece, uh, PS5 for you to run on your PC. There we go. We also have. And I know so many people are looking forward to this. I, I shouldn't lead with that. That's cynical. Uh, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot Trunks, the Warrior of Hope. I'm looking forward to this. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, no, <I'm> <laughs> that's what he that said. Uh, releases on look, June 11th. Look, look, George, it's as much of a cell phone as he was dissing you. He He's the biggest <laughs> Dragon Ball fan in this chat. No, it's not that I'm no, a big Dragon Ball sure? fan. It's, the, it's the only anime I've seen. Well, not the only one. <laughs> I love Dragon Ball most. Look, look, Brian. You can't, you can't <laughs> deny it. You actually understand what the hell's up with all the different Super Saiyan forms. So I do, I, I'm a big super. I mean, I mean, I'm a big Dragon Ball fan. Just well, not a fan I, I, of... has anyone here been keeping up with the manga, the Super manga? I need, I, I, I need someone oh. to explain the difference between like Super Saiyan version two and then like Super. Right? Yeah, there's yeah, the Super there's Saiyan like, Blue. Uh, basically, you're... so um. Originally, the Super Saiyan levels were de- delineated by grade, which was like whether or not they could hold the form, or the like. This is all the Trunks Saga stuff for the Android Saga, and then Super Saiyan Grade Four became Super Saiyan Two. Oh. I think that's how it works. I'll have to look back on that. Uh, but yeah, this this is kind of interesting because Dragon Ball Z Kakarot came out last January, and we kind of knew that early on that it was going to have three DLCs. Here we are, like a year and a half later, and the first two DLCs were really. If George's can be trusted, quite limited, quite small. (laughs) 
they were just like battle arenas with new bosses like here's beerus have fun or or whatever but this one actually took kind of a left turn and instead of going further into like tournament of power super stuff they're like we're going to be focusing on the the trunks ova uh about the androids from several years ago um so it seems like they have a lot more effort put into it and they went to like kind of like a fan favorite part of the story so i can't fault them for that i think it just kind of was also a bit unexpected for for me because I, I probably will end up playing this. I said long ago that if this feels substantial, I might write up about it and maybe sum up all the DLC as one, uh, if it if I can be bothered. <laughs> but I'm excited they're doing it, but I kind of completely forgot this was coming. Uh, I am excited, trust me, but I just I just feel like it's maybe it would have been better to do something from Super, in my opinion. Just I think that would have been a bit more exciting, like even do Ultra Instinct. But then like. You just get the argument. I could say, oh, they haven't done that yet, but they kind of have in Xenoverse. And then I could say, oh, well, they've not really done the Trunks bit, but they kind of have before in Saga. And it's just, you know, this this is Dragon Ball. It's just doing the same stuff over and over again, as much as I love it. Um, mm-hmm. But I hope it'll be good. I think it I think it should be good. I realize I've made a mistake. Super Saiyan 2 was originally grade 5, not 4. 4 was uh, what Goku was oh. when he fought Cell, the full-powered ah. one. Yes. I know, yep. I know yep. Super uh, Saiyan. following. <laughs> I think no, it's it's connect too, you know they, <laughs> they they have some some things going on they have that demon slayer fighting arena game going on oh yeah but they also have uh there's a tweet from the ceo hiroshi matsuyama uh that was translated into english he, he, po- he posted up a picture of like these mysterious mp4 files for an unannounced game and he said i keep checking the data for a title they're developing it's unannounced and he was moved to the point he burst into tears. There's nothing left to cut and add. It's good as is. What a Betty good job Arnstein. you guys have done. Let's show this to the world soon. What Boruto, is it? Boruto, please. Get out of here. Never mind. Bring it back. <laughs> Make it Boruto focus. Oh, please, everyone. Demon Slayer Muso. No. Well, <laughs> actually, uh, if you guys, there's been a rumor going around. I don't know. You know how rumors go. Is he freezing? Uh huh. Apparently, uh-huh. they're going to do. Uh, Arxis are going to do a My Hero Academia fighter. That's the one that's going around at the moment. And I don't know. I kind I, I kind of buy I, I, I kind of buy uh, buy Chalo's uh, version of that rumor better. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't believe it. It's one of those things where, like, if it happens, I will say I told you so. But if it doesn't, I'm like, I, well, if, that's if, crazy. If, if the game existed, I would use the Invisible Girl, whatever her character was. Yeah, I think <laughs> I can't see the hitbox, guys. So well, I don't. Chow was the version of your rumor, so we're not totally uh, blindsiding the audience here. What was the, what was the version of the rumor that you shared? Oh, that one. Uh-huh. Uh The time in Ninja Series or whatever it's called. I feel I am lost. What? You don't want to know. It's better not to know. Google it, I guess. Don't Google it. Do not Google it. You guys are going to be in trouble. And especially do not bing it. Keep the safe search on, I suppose. Um. So I don't actually. This isn't. This is not RPG related whatsoever. But I. And I'm not even sure if it's if it's going to happen, but I feel like a lot of people in the FGC have been like, "Oh, it, it can't happen." Like, Arxis is working on Guilty Gear and trying and and uh, Grand Grand Blue Versus. It's like, first off, 
You do know that at one point in time, they were supporting Guilty Gear, Xard, Rev 2, BB Tag, and Dragon Ball Fighters at the same time, right? And it's not like Arxis is uh, a stranger to working on multiple titles at the same time. Like, like obviously, Strive is about to come out, so they do still work on like supporting it over time, but of course, that's going to be a smaller team. You can say, oh, well, they're still supporting Grand Blue Versus. Look, we all know that Grand Blue Versus is basically done. We all know that Dragon Ball Fighters is basically done. They're working... Dungeon Fighter. Yeah, they're working on Dungeon Fighter, but we don't know the scope of what they're working on there. So they probably do have another project, and it wouldn't shock me if it was My Hero Academia, because that is very popular right now. And they did those... Naruto! they, they, They did that... Like, they did those, like, Dragon Ball and One Piece, like, fighters on the 3DS. So it's not like they're any strangers to working on other Shonen uh, Jump uh, franchises. So, I don't know. They're always working on something. Honestly, that is, like, one of my top five, like, dream games. I would love to see that. Dragon Ball Fighters was exciting. Top five dream games? Yeah, genuinely, it it is on the... Next to Kingdom Hearts Musou game. That would be cool. That's just the interest of the Kingdom Hearts games then. No. <laughs> I, I was gonna say I was gonna say what <laughs> Kingdom Hearts is already simple enough to be a Musou. <laughs> you have that, that oh, whole man. like uh, like good uh, like Kingdom Hearts 2 bug oh, oh that's one like, scene. That's the, one scene. You Imagine Shadow. a whole game with that. But you can play as Axel. Oh god, that and then you've got cool. Musou right there. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, this became an Arxist uh, discussion on CyberConnect too. Sorry, sorry, Mr. Matsuyama. These 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 podcasters have no faith in whatever. No, 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 no. I'll I'll keep talking about CyberConnect too. The the day that they give me Fuga Melodies of Steel, and not a day sooner. That is. I can't wait to get the story free to find out what comes true. Let's see who is going to bet which rumor comes true. No, no, I'm like, how do, I, how do I rein this in? This, this thing has gone <laughs> off the rails. Oh, apparently I just have to request it. We're nice, I think. Yeah. We don't. All right. Uh, we did talk last week about the state of play about Horizon Forbidden West and all the gameplay there and how it had a fighting game finisher on it. There you go. There's the connective tissue. Um, but missing from that presentation was any inkling of a release date. However, since then, there has been a PlayStation blog interview with Herman Holst of Sony uh, that went over a bunch of different topics, some of them more contentious than others. Um, nested in that interview was a statement saying that Horizon Forbidden West is still on track for a 2021 release, though there is a bit of hedging. You know, he's trying not to, like, commit to it. I'll also mention in this interview were nuggets that the next God of War title and the next Gran Turismo title will be available on PlayStation 4 as well as PlayStation 5, which mm-hmm. has kind of been taken taken off in a few different places under a few different contexts. Uh, so I, I don't know. two minds about it. One, it's especially with the way that it's been really difficult to get a PlayStation 5, case in point, Adam. Uh, it's it's better that more people can play those games. And the fact that they're saying, oh, they're coming for PlayStation 4, 
presumably this late in development means that they were always like being developed with a possible PlayStation 4 version in mind. Mm. So it's not like you can even say, oh, well, if there was no PS4 version, the games would be meaningfully different because, no, they were always hedging their bets. Maybe because there, because the, at the last time we saw Gran Turismo 7 that only had the PS5 logo on it. And that there's there's already some talk behind the scenes, like the decision to bring it to PS4 is has been made. It's like a more of a recent decision. So it, it could it could be it could be, you know, who knows at the offset of development. Um, but obviously, mar- market the market shows that like, and hey, I definitely, a, I definitely, a lot of people don't have PS5s at the moment. This is probably a better decision. And I would say, especially for something like Gran Turismo, I, I think a PS4 version makes a lot of sense. I mean, both well, obviously, both PS4 and PS5 share an architecture. There's obviously key differences to them, but largely i think it isn't a stretch to say that cross-generation games are easier to support between ps5 and ps4 than like any generation previously and especially for a racing game like gran turismo it's not like you're really seeing the full breadth of the ssd like you'll have ray tracing maybe but that's something you can just it was never going to be full ray tracing or path tracing or anything like that anyways so i'm not a developer Maybe she the, weird, the weird thing, the weird thing about the way that this interview is organized is that it's basically like a short question asked, answered by a very long, detailed answer. So you can kind of tell this was like a not like an not like an organic interview. It's more like a it's more just marketing. I guess it's from PlayStation yeah. Blog. What do you expect? But the question that answered this was how does PS4 factor in a PlayStation Studios development vision? Uh, and then he just answered. This is how he answered: where it makes sense to develop a title for for both PS4 and PS5. For Horizon Forbidden West, the next God of War, and GT7, we'll continue to look at that. So he just kind of like listed them off right there, just like unprompted. Like, wait, wait a minute. Like, those are also coming to PS4. I guess that's the way he answered the question. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, yeah. Forbidden West was like all the way like the, the, from the offset of its announcement. Even though it was only shown to be a PS5 in the presentation, it was that was later listed in the PlayStation blog that was also coming to PS4 along with the mm-hmm. Sackboy game. Yeah. And my yeah, my my problem, I don't. I wish Sony had been a bit more upfront about it from the start, like Xbox was, because I wouldn't have felt that, like, there wouldn't be this intense pressure to get a PS5. Uh, And, yeah, it's cool to have, like, slightly faster loading times, and I'm sure the games will be better on PS5, but it's like... I don't know, it just takes a bit of the magic out of it a bit. I know they've got stuff like Return Ratchet, but it's like... I don't know. I'm I'm a bit... It's it's the fact that, like, to me it seems like... The news itself that God of War and GT7 are coming to PS4 isn't like, it's like, okay, that's understandable. I get it. It's just the fact that we learned about it like this with like, it's not like they lied, but it's just like they, they kind of like smoke screened it. We're like, oh, by the way, yeah, it's coming to PS4. Don't, don't think about it too much. And it's just yeah. kind of like, you guys are totally right. And I think, I remember last year when uh, Microsoft and Sony were doing the starting, setting up their marketing cycles for these next gen machines and whatnot. Like Microsoft, as time and time has proven again, like they were very more transparent, like in the in the long term for a game for their uh, Series S and X. Like re- remember when those two articles were saying that, like um, when Microsoft is saying, "Oh yeah, we're still gonna continue releasing all our brand new titles for like the next two to three years." So Xbox One players, you know, don't worry, like we still we're, we're still gonna support you for this amount of time. So like they already like establish an expectation there so like people aren't like too bummed about it 
like it's like oh halo is still coming to xbox one it's like that well the next whatever is coming to xbox one because they already like set up front before the machine even came out here i, I found a quote just like like i wanted i wanted to read what was exactly said myself it was an interview with uh xbox game studios matt booty saying as our content comes out over the next year two years all of our games will play up and down the family devices so right. they up front said we plan this is what we plan to do through 2021 2022 and sony was a lot on that yeah yeah know. they were just they were just more coy about it and which you can see why it drives demand like oh i need a ps5 to play this. and like do you well I, and then I, you kind of argue like well you still get the best experience that way but Mm. it's also it's also like it it's also it also has become a nuisance for ps4 users to like play these games on their current devices because one they have the now they have the knowledge of knowing like oh i'm not getting like the most out of like this game and two like playstation 4 fan noises have only been rising as time has gone i will i will say i I have enjoyed the stupid memes about like loading up god of war on my ps4 and it's like uh it's it's like an animal crossing like house with only fans spinning (laughs) (laughs) or whatever i I will will say this silver lining is how we get memes i I don't know if i'd even call how sony were being coy like Boy would be like, well, you know, you see how it goes. But they literally were like, no, we believe in generations. Like, why would we go back to PS4? We want PS5 to mm-hmm. about. Yeah, the like just to be completely too. clear, just to be completely clear, it was a marketing response to uh, yeah. Microsoft saying that they were going to support. Oh yeah, the for Xbox sure. One yeah, for another definitely. few years, and it's like, and it was rightfully. Yeah, people are rightfully giving Sony shit for this because they laid an expectation in response to what Microsoft said they were doing. And it turns out that that, um, both Sony and Microsoft are doing the same thing. Just Sony was trying to get brownie points by giving the illusion that they were going to have only true next gen experiences. Yep. Trying to appeal to that crowd. And they, they elite gamers that want their console to have like, like, I guess I sound like that a bit, but my problem isn't with that. Like I said, it's more expectation. I I paid 500 pounds for this big monolith and I'd like, you know, I want to show it off a bit and then, you can show them the yeah. FF7 door, dude. There you go. True, yeah. true, true, true. <laughs> but uh, or it's, the you thing play is, is that... It, yeah, I, I really like Returnal. I haven't finished it yet, though. It, it's on the back. I, 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 I think it's like one of those games that like I'll come back to again and again as like as time goes on. Because, like, yeah, I, I definitely. Genuinely, I do genuinely like, like oh, I just want to like play for like half an hour. And sometimes Returnal gives me that. But sometimes it's like, oh, this t- half hour turns into like two hours. Shit. When they add saving, yeah. I'll come back and I will finish it then. For now, I don't have time. <laughs> Do you think they'll ever add saving, though? No. <laughs> All righty. Answer's that. Yeah, the thing is, they didn't even need to, like, they could have just leveraged the strength of their IP instead of this weird marketing response thing. They could have just said, like, the only place to play Ratchet or God of War. Like, instead of, I don't know. I feel like they could have approached it in a more honest way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the thing, right? If they say that before the console launch, that's potentially less consoles being sold because you already laid the expectation that, like, oh, they, these games are coming to my device anyway. Why do I need this right now? They, 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 they. In, in some ways, it's a, it's kind of deceptive marketing. Like that's the as we were getting back to, it's like that they did that to drive up demand. And as you can see, like, even though both devices are still hard to find, like PS Five feels like the one that like people are fervently. Like trying, yeah, to like... it's uh, it's a notch above, but yeah, I could probably find the Xbox Series X in Canada at least sometimes, but the PS5 is non existent. 
I don't want to dwell on this too much because like eventually in a year, two years, we'll be out of the cross-gen period and this will be history. But it is kind of like frustrating in the moment. The last couple news bits here are pretty small ones, but one of these especially I think we've kind of been looking forward to uh, just because it is like a success story of the top tier imaginable. Sakuna of Rice and Ruin. We God damn it, I was going to make a joke about clearly uh, Tellier Riza shows that the that even <laughs> long-running small franchises can have a breakout success. <laughs> All right, no, that's that, that. I guess that's perfect because both of these are success stories. Uh, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin has surpassed 1 million units shipped worldwide, which I think they said that the initial intent was to sell 30,000 30, units. Yeah. So that is an insane success story made by like two or three people. It was Adam's game of the year last year. It's I, just, I, yeah, Josh didn't like it yeah. much, did he? I, I, I liked it. Like, but I said, there, there are definitely like things that I didn't like about it, but that doesn't mean that like, I hated the game. I, I enjoyed my time with the game. Like, Josh, I, I could, yeah, could, you not, could you not get into rice farming? Look, rice farming like is difficult, man. It's uh, <laughs> breaking work. It is. And I one thing apparently I didn't um this game sold a million worldwide. Now usually when it comes to like Japanese games, the majority of sales are like the worldwide sales just because of market size, right? Um but for this game, I believe it sold six hundred thousand in Japan and four hundred thousand elsewhere. Wow. And that's a little bit unusual because like, you know, obviously Japan's well, a much smaller market. But it's the sort of that's the type of game it is, right? Is it's it really hones in on this very particular aspect of Japanese culture, rice farming, and it's yeah. it's one of those things that um, GI Biz actually did a really nice interview on this um, when it, back when it released. That like uh, I think I might have mentioned this in a previous podcast too. We're like obviously rice is a very common part of a typical Japanese person's diet. But a lot of people don't there don't know like the specifics of like how it's done, and, you know that's it's it's a trade that people learn, and so that was something that apparently was very very interesting to the people there to like simulate it to play it, uh, and to see it in a game. So I think that's really cool. I do remember seeing people talking about how there were people that after like playing Sakana they actually got into trying to grow rice themselves, and all that and all that entails, and it's. It definitely seems like it kind of became like seeing this like indie success. It kind of just blew up because a lot of Japanese players were like, hey, this is really cool. And this is something that's very inherently like Japanese down to the roots, quote unquote. Yeah, ha, ha, ha. Uh -huh. <laughs> but it, it's just cool to see because we see other series take a different approach to try to. Well, first of all, there's like layers of success, like one million here for a small franchise for 1 million for another game it you have to scale it properly but you see other games saying like we're going to implement action combat or we're going to implement a western art style in, in order and these guys took a different route they're just like no we we have a good idea that no one's tried uh we're not going to try to appeal we're not going to try to like sabotage our vision by appealing to a wider audience that might not have the affinity to our subject material so they they took a different route to get to their to get there and it like paid off immensely. So I think that's just probably the most striking aspect of the success that they've seen here is that they did it kind of their own way. Yeah, I mean I'm really interested to see what the what the future of that studio holds. I, I mm -hmm. imagine that they they they're like okay we can like 
this is our time to really pursue like our dreams at this point. And as uh, James sort of alluded to earlier, we already knew that Atelier Ryza 1 and 2 had combined to sell 1 million copies as of, I think, March of this year. Uh, in celebration for that, they did reveal some DLC costumes uh, for the game. Uh, there's one for Ryza 1 and one for Ryza 2, as far as I know. Uh, yep. Those are available now. Another six series that has seen a lot of success. And our last topic is about E3. We already kind of talked at the header about the streams that are starting next week, starting with the Summer Game Fest, followed by pretty much every publisher under the sun having some sort of streaming event of some sort. People have made a ton of different tables online trying to lay out the, the timings for, for the time zones and who's, what's being hosted where and where each publisher is going to show up. Uh, what that means for us is that as starting from like this Wednesday through next week, a lot of us are going to be kind of busy covering that, even though it's hard to say exactly what, what that will entail because the format is so different this year. Uh, it turns out that it's going to cross right into our normal podcast recording time, which is normally in the middle of day on Saturdays uh, for most of us in the States, at least. So what we are going to do is take a break next week there will not be a podcast episode next week because we anticipate that we are going to be busy just covering just doing our normal coverage for the stuff we expect to see and then we are going to catch up in two weeks time from now to go over everything that we anticipate will come out the week of june 7th so hope that's made clear you will not see us next week in two weeks we will be back with a vengeance and hopefully don't have four, five, six hours of material to cover. Hey, but it gives it gives me a chance. It gives me two weeks to not play to play <laughs> something other than Final Fantasy Eleven. So there you go. I'm doing this Just for my own benefit. 14. Uh, all, no. So all the all the comments of I'll I'll, I'll get back to that ne uh, the, or ne next week or whatever. To throw it out the window. We were just kidding. That'll be in two weeks time. I just oh, love yeah. how so, Brian's saying, "Okay, I'm finally going to play something that's not an MML." Look, don't lie. You're going to only play New Genesis. New Genesis is more like a online cooperative action game. That's not mm. an MMO. It's yeah. an MMO. Look, look, look. We know that PSO2 is not an MMO, but we both played New Genesis. It's an MMO. And you're not wrong. But yeah, so uh, hopefully you understand. We hopefully, we hopefully it ends up paying off and we have a ton of stuff to show you. We're kind of going on anticipation and speculation here and I guess a few leaks as well. But I'm going to be optimistic and say it'll be good. We'll have a whole bunch of stuff to look forward to when we reconvene on, I guess that'll be the 19th. You'll probably be listening to it as we upload it for the 20th, 21st. So we're going to be taking it. And this is the first break we've taken since the podcast relaunched early last year. So uh, we deserve it. Damn it. No, we took, a, we, took a, we took a break after the game of the year stuff. Oh, yeah, we did. We say. took the holiday break. Damn. We deserve it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh with that i'm going to start doing the sign off wrap up uh you can talk you can read about all of the stories that we talked about up on our website i'm going to call out again the neo the world ends with you preview that cullen did on our youtube channel do give that a look he did a great job with it um all of the news about wizardry about the shin megami tensei leak about the legend of heroes trailer all of that's on up on the website you can join our discord channel at discord.com rpg site or the link at our homepage. 
follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash RPG site, and also uh, our Instagram, instagram.com slash RPG site. So we post it. We've been doing a pretty good job kind of keeping all of those streams flowing with the different, all the different previews and coverage and news that we've been covering over the last month. And you'll hear from us, not next week, but in two weeks. So if you took some time off, uh, I applaud you for it. Enjoy. Hopefully we end up hearing something that you're excited about. I'm looking forward to it. Until next time, take care. Stay safe. See you then. Have a happy E3, everyone. Maybe we'll finally see the Switch Pro.